Oddities, late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I don't know where those lines came from, but they were brilliant. I mean, where did you get all that to say? You're, you're not a part of this podcast, Zach, even though your name's in the title. How did you know to say those things at the start of this episode? <sighs> I've been hiding <laughs> under the rafters and impersonating a Phantom of the Opera character in the weird coincidence that that's the current event happening is I'm a homeless person living below the school. Oh, so you're Emil, the night janitor. Okay. <laughs> I am 100% Emil. Not Brian. Not Brian, though. Um, yes, folks, we are back. It is Rob and Zach, the titular Rob and Zach, or at least two-thirds of the titular Rob and Zach, discussing Goosebumps. If you know if it's Goosebumps time, you know what we're on the eve of. Oh, yeah. It's your favorite M-word, Monstober. <laughs> it's, the, it's the one thing that you know I knew I didn't even have to ask Zach about. Uh, plenty of time in advance, he contacted me and was like, Rob, here's my thoughts from Monstober. Here's what we're doing. Here's the, uh, you know, one-fifth of it you get to have any say in, and it's known as Goosebumps. <laughs> and I that was That is like, 100% correct. I was like, of course. That's what I expect, you know? <laughs> as God intended, Rob. As God as intended. As God intended, absolutely. So, of course, we're here to bump some geese as we do every year. Uh, this is going to be the fifth now. Um, mm-hmm. So we're, we're slowly chipping away through these Goosebumps episodes. Same thing as always. We picked, you know— a collection of four episodes, so two of the half-hour ones and one of the longer uh, hour-long segments. Um, but Zach, would you like to say it this year, or should I say it? The thing we always say at, in the start of these episodes. Listener beware, <laughs> you're in for a scare. Okay, good, you remembered. I, I love it that there's like two or three years of oh, this yeah. where oh, you're yeah. just like, uh-huh. I'm like, Zach, you want to say it this time? And you go, say what? And I'm like, how do you not know what to say? <laughs> Well, I think my favorite Goosebumps quote is, Rob, I'm going to let you do this, but I'm not going to like <laughs> but I'm it. I'm not going to like it, absolutely. <laughs> but, but five years later, I've become a believer. Rob has converted me to the faith. Absolutely. I mean, you have to, you have to be that way. And um, I've, I've converted you to the way of the eight pixels on screen at a time. <laughs> we'll get, okay, okay. Because I've been sitting on this for, like, this is kind of like one of the reasons why, too, I'm excited for Goosebumps this year. Is that like I finally broke down? Uh, we it's it's going to tie into one probably one of the cornerstones of cinematis, the idea of owning media, possession of media, and like it, it's been a reoccurring gag now for five years that Rob loves Goosebumps Vision, or as I call it, cataract surgery emulation. I forgot you even called it Goosebumps Vision. It's just Goosebumps to me. <laughs> well, that's why I mean, you don't know any better. Like it's it's the the Bane Batman thing. It's like uh, you grew up in yes. the darkness. I was born in it. Um, you don't know any better. So like, I'm like, okay, I want to be able to watch Goosebumps properly. I know it doesn't have a home video release outside of like a couple things here and there on DVD. I'm like, I am going to sit there. Like, I'm going to like sign up for a Netflix trial. I'm go- I want to consume this in at least standard definition. Mm-hmm. And I go looking, it seems not to be available anywhere to stream. Like, it's just, it's it's been completely wiped off the board streaming-wise, which has always been a big thing for both of us. The idea that streaming gr- is great for convenience, but it's not good for record-keeping. It's not good for keeping any sort of just, I don't even want to say possession, because at the end of the day, like, 
it's it's a cultural possession, even a home uh, like a a copy you can buy from a store. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the idea that if you want to watch this in decent quality, even like I know Rob wants to watch it in grainy vision, <laughs> but I'll say that what's available now I think is even subpar than what it was running on Fox Kids in the nineties. Okay. What's what's available now for consumption is in, in it's almost like it's not lost media. But it's almost – there's got to be a new term for it called like vaulted media, kind of like what Disney used to do with the Disney vault where they would take things as circulation and put it behind just like – I don't even know what term you would use. It's just – it's been taken out of circulation. And I'm just like they're, – they're, I'm like, OK. I'm going to break down. I, I, I Everybody knows I love the haunted mask. Carly Beth, of course. Catherine Long and Short coming at us fast and hard. <laughs> and I'm like, I want to buy the DVD of this. I'm like, fine. Like a 480p DVD will suffice. And I'm like, I do research on it and it doesn't exist. Like it does not – that that story, those those episodes are not available as a DVD. And I'm like, this can't be possible because like all – again, Rob, you probably remember our research from years ago that The Haunted Mask was obviously the inaugural episode of the series. Yeah. It had – like it's VHS back in the 90s, sold something like two and a half million copies. And I'm just like, like – I think it was one of the top ten like VHSs for the year it was released. And I'm like, how does this not have a like 480p quality release? And it doesn't. Like the I'm not kidding you when I say this. Unless somebody has r- ripped – or screen captured a Netflix streaming version of that episode, you that it, you can't watch it any better quality than a VHS copy from almost thirty years ago. Okay, well that and that is so surprising to me. That, this is something Zach is dropping on me basically for the first time right now because the last time that I had access to Netflix, I, I remember it was, it was probably uh, definitely earlier this year when um, Ben and I covered the. 2015 Jack Black Goosebumps movie on the, our Patreon. I remember after I watched that on Netflix, Netflix started saying, "Oh, you should also watch the Goosebumps series." And it was still available. And I don't have the exact date, but that was a few months ago. So, it's been fairly recent that they've done this kind of like you said, not really well purging, but also vaulting of this media, which is kind of a bummer because I do want people to see Goosebumps even if I believe they're not seeing it in the correct quality. I still want them to be seeing it. <laughs> Well, yeah, the only thing I can see right now is that you can buy the series on Google Play, Vudu, the Microsoft Store, Lord help us all, <laughs> for only three of, three of the four seasons on Apple TV and one season on Amazon. Oh, wow. That's insane. That's it. That's yeah. it. And, and, and as we all know, like, again, like who's buying anything from Google Play or Vudu? Who's dropping $50 on the digital series – of this, knowing good well that any given time, that's they're gonna just yank that from you. Yeah, yeah, 100%. like hundred percent. And that's the thing where it's like it's it. They've made it genuinely inaccessible. And I, I, I have a, I have a theory as to why they're doing this. Um, it involves our favorite uh, entertainment company that always seems to be lurking in the background of most of these episodes. Uh, okay, um, okay. And especially with the revival that is on the horizon, like I, I think, I think next year most likely we're getting it. We might have gotten it late this year if it weren't for the writer strike. But it's 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 the goddamn Disney Plus revival, like and apparently, and that's gonna be a weird like quasi continuation of the jack black movie apparently jack black movies 
Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> That's what in Oh god, what's the inaugural Goosebumps novel, Rob? The horror house? The the horror house. Horror yeah. horror. Oh, I think you said you just said horror house. <laughs> well, uh, you are really close. That, it's Welcome to Dead House. Dead House. Apparently, they released one image in, for Comic-Con of this year. So we're talking, what, a month ago, give sure. or take? Yeah. And it's the Goosebumps logo, and it looks like the house from the cover of the novel. Oh, gotcha. Okay, okay. And, you, and we still have that same, like, two-sentence description from, like, I think two years ago now where it's <laughs> a group of five teens have to learn how to, re- like, fight off this evil presence that has been awoken by blah, 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 and they have to use their their similar qualities and their differing qualities to achieve this. It's like – I think Justin Long is, like, their teacher. Okay, and correct me and, if I'm wrong. This is the same blurb that they, they – somebody messed up, or I don't know if this is intentional. When they released this – like it's titled Goosebumps, but before Goosebumps, they scratched out Jumanji, right? They didn't just they didn't like you know cover that <laughs> yeah. up at all. <laughs> that's what, and that's it. Feels like derivative on top of derivative. Exactly. It's it reminds me of what they did with the Unsolved Mysteries, like Netflix reboot. They just they're like, nope, we don't believe in anthology. We're just gonna sit there, like just like we're we're gonna very much do our own things. No one's gonna host it. We're keeping the name for brand recognition, but it's going to be its own thing. Yeah, that sucked. I watched the first episode of that, which I'm sure we've talked about, but it's been so long. I watched the first episode of that, and I was waiting for them to go to another mystery. And when it ended and I was like, oh, they just focused on one, I was like, why did Netflix trick me into watching a YouTube video? <laughs> well, that's what I mean, and I think that's what they're doing. They, and I think Justin Long is here also, and it's kind of scary to think, Rob, we're at a point where Justin Long is considered nostalgia. Like, <laughs> like he's that actor now. It's like, oh, yeah, remember Justin Long, the guy from, like, you met him as the Apple spokesman, and then he did Jeepers Creepers, and then he did a couple, like, weird, like, character, like, roles, like, in like the late 2000s aren't you nostalgic for him now and it's like oh my god are, are we at that point rob are we old men like i, I think we're the well, old men now yes i do think we are old men with both of our birthdays being very close we're in the weird period where i'm one year older than zach but only for a few more days um but yeah you're actually completely right this is not something we brought up when uh, ben and i discussed it i even thought about until now when Justin Long shows up for the second half of Barbarian, I am kind of nostalgic for that aspect of him being like the 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 douchebag, the asshole, like you know, like what he's in um, Sam Raimi's Drag Me to Hell is a very annoying character. He's the male cheerleader yep. Yep. in Dodgeball. Uh, I remember all uh, him from when I was oh, he's the uh, lead of the Make the Fake College movie. Accepted, um, yep. and it's you're absolutely right, and I hate to. I hate that you've just unentrenched in me that I think of Justin Long as nostalgia. (laughs) That's what I mean. I think that's what they're doing is that like they they know no kid under the age of what? 25 knows what Goosebumps is and – they're just going to sit there be like, okay, like we're going to slap this this logo on it, and they know the 30-year-olds will come out of the woodwork, mm-hmm. and hopefully their children will stick in the room while they watch it. It's, it, it's a weird Hail Mary of sorts for a property that they've, what, tried to revive – Oh God! Like, forget about the revivals of the novels in the in the late '90s and early 2000s. But just what in the 2010s they tried reviving it twice to little to no success. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole slew of different Goosebumps series now that um just never attached to anybody. I, I also think it was kind of like 
a, a futile endeavor to like make books in this day and age, right? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, nowadays, if, I don't even know what the closest facsimile to doing a goosebumps in today's day and age would be. Mm-hmm. Like, do, like this is another question for you, Rob. Not, I don't want to go down to like go down the millennial like nostalgia well, but like, is there such thing as book fairs anymore oh, there, in schools? No, there can't be. I mean. We used to, I remember book fairs used to be the hottest shit back in the day. Yeah. Um, I remember also leading up to some book fairs, you would get like catalogs of, of like, yep. you know, like stuff mm-hmm. to order. I would imagine now, if anything, there, it's there's a QR just, code. It, it, oh, you, you took the words right <laughs> out of my mouth. I was going to say it's, it's a string of QR codes that kids can scan to see like a quick animated TikTok of something that you know it's not just a book it's a tie-in to 17 other types of media um but let's actually let's do this let's go down our how old we are rabbit hole you you know when i feel like we've talked about this before but you know the whole thing where it's like i i think of it as the vhs moment where you have that thing where it's like oh the younger generation doesn't know what vhs's are that type of thing mm-hmm. i was talking to someone the other day and i'm actually glad you bring this up because this this is a story i've been just telling everybody i know I was talking to someone the other day, someone who is 10 years younger than I am, and I brought up MySpace. Like, I mentioned something. For whatever reason, I brought up the fact that it was like, remember, it's like you could, like, pick your favorite song and have it play when, like, someone came to your MySpace page or whatever. And I, I like, used that in this conversation, and the person came back to me, and they were like, MySpace, was that kind of like Reddit? And I was like... I I ju- I had the VHS moment uh, there. I kind of was stun locked for fifteen seconds. I was like, I didn't expect this conversation to go this way. <laughs> yeah, the fact that you had to explain you you had to explain something that you've never had to explain before. Yeah, I thought it was a, a well known reference, uh, of course, but no, absolutely, we are old men, Zach, and and nobody likes goosebumps. Everybody loves Justin Long. I think those are the good points we're making, right? <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> I don't know. I feel I feel like we're in that camp of a lot of things where something just went underground and it's most likely being forced underground by the Walt Disney Company. Exactly. Like it, exactly. it's a weird sort of just like the root of all evil again. So so my question for you with with what you've posed here and I think we actually got into this a good bit last year because we were talking about that reboot and stuff like that. Do you think that they are vaulting the the Goosebumps show that we love to discuss on this podcast because they want to make sure that when they release their series or whatever they, they have planned, that it's only going to be tied to, like you said, the Jack Black movies, or they want to create like a new view of like a, a populist view of Goosebumps. So they trying to bury like the, the notion that was the Fox kids version of Goosebumps. I, it's, for, I think, yes, Disney's doing that, but they have no control over anything that came before it because the, sure. the two movies are the are Sony products, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the TV show is Fox Kids. But, but I can't imagine Scholastic did not like does does not own the rights to those to those episodes. Sure, that that's a good point. I, yeah, I can't. Like I said, this was the biggest thing on the face of the earth in the nineties. Yeah, so yeah. I can't imagine they wouldn't retain that to some degree. So I would imagine that Disney probably, because now owning the Fox catalog, probably has some sort of say in who it gets licensed to, and they might be able to buy off Scholastic and just be like, like, or just be like, it's in your best interest to let our thing have all the oxygen in the room. And then obviously the, the movies they have no control over, so they have to let that just do its own thing. But the fact that like it's a lot of the same creative team from the movies is in charge of this TV series, this new TV series, leads me to believe that again the 
the Jack Black stuff is definitely – I don't think continuity means anything, but I think it's definitely in good graces, whereas I think okay. the Fox Kids show is persona non grata relative <laughs> to where they want to be. Sure, sure. No, that that's a good point you bring up. Um, uh, it really saddens me to hear that the people who are involved with those movies are going to be on this new TV show because I've only seen the first one. I didn't see the um, – the the whatever it's called goosebumps to uh, goose to bump to or whatever it is you know still um, bumping the <laughs> bump boogaloo <laughs> but the first one is a war crime uh the first one is so bad and i'm so glad that ben and i got to cover it on the uh, on the patreon which everybody should go check out if you want to hear more about that uh zach i don't know if you were aware of this we actually covered it as a fan request for maximo oh my <laughs> god bless maximo um it, it was actually really cool i don't want to give too much away because everybody should go listen to it but we Ben and I came into that conversation where Ben was like, this movie was bad to find. He was like, I didn't mind it in the background. And I was like, Ben, this movie's a war crime to goosebumps. <laughs> it's I remember when it came out. I, I didn't see it in theaters, but I watched it, I think I from the library or something. And it's just it's very childish. Oh yeah, yeah. It 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 feels like it's designed for first graders. Yes. And in like like very juvenile in a way that I would say Goosebumps, the series, was kind of flirting above that. Like it was definitely – I think it. the Jack Black movie is more intended for like – I think like six-year-olds where the TV show was like more like six to like 11. Like it's definitely the, – they lowered the age demographic they were trying to pursue with that movie. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I don't recommend it to anybody, but I do recommend people listen to our episode. If you want to hear me scream <laughs> – uh, for an extended period of time because it takes 30 minutes of that movie for any Goosebumps-like thing to show up. I get very angry about that movie because it's like, why do they take so long to get to the Goosebumps? I know what fucking ticket I bought. You know, like I know what movie I'm going to see. I don't need suspense for the Goosebumps to show up. That's what I'm paying for. Instead, there's the whole beginning where Amy Ryan and Dylan Minnette have a weird mother-son relationship. <laughs> Well, that's why again, misguided. Exactly. They don't. They, they exactly. didn't know what they had, so they're just like, eh, just make it very family movie of the week. I don't know. That's. Uh, I will say. Well, this one final point that in my research for like where the why isn't Goosebumps accessible, mm-hmm. and maybe it's another reason why, is that on Reddit for some reason the Reddit community is the Goosebumps Reddit community is very much against buying like I guess Netflix rips and screen captures off of like Etsy other site like again there's sure. very much there's a very definitive market now for like streaming series whether it be stuff like disney plus hulu hbo max getting bootleg like home video releases to the point where now disney plus is finally released i'm sorry disney is releasing disney plus stuff i think mandalorian loki wandavision's all coming to home video officially now and but from the reddit page apparently a lot of the actors from goosebumps are still getting residuals and that might be another reason why disney is just stepping on this because if they do make it available there they have to pay it out to people gotcha gotcha and especially with this whole writer and screen actors guild strike this could just be another thing is like you apparently like i guess i I forget what actor was at like a convention you know like yeah i still get like a check like once a month like every time something happens with this thing so it's like, okay, and and that's where I'm thinking too. Disney just, again, they don't want to pay out. And it's probably, especially in today's day and age, um, 
trying to, I think we talked about when we did real scary stories five years ago as well. Just the idea of like all these old, old TV shows where, oh God, streaming wasn't a thing, but any sort of post initial broadcast light um, residuals probably is gray at best. Mm, gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's a whole can of worms, and like I said, I know we talked a lot about that the 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 future of Goosebumps last year uh, on our Goosebumps episode, and uh, things are still up in the air. So we'll have to see where this nonsense goes. But God damn it, with this new information you've given me, Zach, I am even more thankful as I am every year. I grow more and more thankful that I've gotten these four to eight pixel rips from Jetix and Fox Kids of the Goosebumps that I have. At this point, Rob, between what's been, like, I feel like Goosebumps is, like, holiday special level. It's, like, what's available on YouTube is, like, I can't even tell what I'm looking at anymore. I'm just seeing blurs. I would love blurs to do that. Blurs of different I, I, colors. I would love to go to a convention and be like, hey, I got bootlegs, bootlegs. And they're like, of what? Goosebumps the 90s series. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, I'm afraid because like, I looked on Etsy and I saw a couple things for like Goosebumps, like the entire series on Blu ray for like $40. I'm like, is this just like a YouTube rip? Like, I'm like, like I'd be happy with a Netflix rip, but I'm like, I don't know what it is that I'm buying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. But okay. yes, Rob, please introduce. The three episodes will be yes, discussed. Yes, exactly. And I think I think we ended it well there with the uh, waxing philosophical, but also bringing up the fact that Ben and I discussed the Goosebumps 2015 movie earlier this year on our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash cinemodities, because that is why we're covering these three episodes. Well, uh, three out of the four, or two out of the three. I talk a lot about, in that episode, uh, the Goosebumps 2015 movie. It makes no sense to make Slappy the leader of the Goosebumps villains, uh, technically, in that movie. Uh, it is has no grounding. It's like they pulled a name out of a hat, or possibly some iconography, like they... They Billy Eichner man on the street talked to one person, like sample size of one. What do you remember about Goosebumps? And someone said, hey, ain't there that uh, dummy? You know, and they went, good, okay, he's the leader. Um, so we're going to be discussing the two main Night of the Living Dummies from the Goosebumps series. Uh, so that's going to be season one, episode 10, Night of the Living Dummy 2, and then season two, episodes 24 and 25, Night of the Living Dummy 3. Now, two things to mention there. You might have noticed I said two and three. <laughs> there is no Night of the Living Dummy one, uh, at least in the show. They never adapted it to the screen. Uh, there's a book about it, but there, there's, uh, <laughs> there's no episode. There's also Bride of the Living Dummy, which is an episode from, I think, the third season. Um, we're not covering that this time because... I figured that'd be our connection to next year, Zach, because, <laughs> you know, I, uh, either the world blows up or we do that we episode. Only, Those are the we only, can only two. Hope the world blows up. <laughs> exactly. So we're going to be covering the Slappy episodes, and I really want to really wanted to rewatch those for the reason because Slappy's such a big part of the movie, and also because as uh, acute and keen listeners might remember, these are the episodes I usually don't rewatch every October because when dolls and dummies come to life, it scares the absolute shit out of me. Thankfully, I only have these episodes in. 24p so i couldn't really be frightened <laughs> by them um but before we get into those because they're so closely tied together i figured we start with uh the other tradition we've begun on this this series of goosebumps this annual goosebumps episode we've just been rolling through the episodes at the start of the series so in the previous four years we've done season one episodes one through six 
we got to do season one, episode seven, and that is The Phantom of the Auditorium. And Zach, if you don't mind, I would love to be the one to give the plot breakdown of The Phantom of the Auditorium. I, I don't want to step on your toes. We we didn't plan this before. Is this like your favorite episodes of Goosebumps ever? Like, does this beat Carly Beth and you really want to well, be the one to well, break it down? Well, Carly Beth is a gem. Like, you, there's there's no like we made a rap song of Carly Beth, which of course uh, I will once again put both versions into this episode as I do every year. Carly Beth. 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 Just Carly Beth. Carly Beth. No. Carly Beth. 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 Yes, like you, that's you, there's nowhere to go but down after Carly Beth. Like they started out. There's a reason why. There's a reason why that that video cassette sold two and a half million copies. And I am most likely going to buy one off eBay for six dollars, including <laughs> shipping. Um, I just can't resist at this point. Um, no, I will say, Rob, that like beginning these uh three episodes that you well, three two episodes and a two and a one two parter. I went into it. Like the first episode, I'm like, oh Jesus! I'm like, this is goosebumps. I'm like, this is goosebumps. <laughs> this is goosebumps with a lowercase g. I I think you should just you should just cut it there. That's a great sound clip of you going, oh Jesus! This is goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so, and then we get to again, Night of the Living Dummy Part Two. And I'm like, did we watch Part One already? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm sitting there like having that moment. Like as Rob gave me the list, I'm just like. I'm like, I don't remember a part. Like, I know Slappy. Like we've talked about Slappy just being weirdly the face of the franchise yes. now. Yeah. And it's just like, I'm like, did like did we did we do that? I'm like, yeah, like I remember Slappy. So I'm just like, okay, like kind of take it for granted. So I'm like, whatever, you roll the punches. So I begin part two, and I'm like, again, it gives no context as to what came before it because it's a classic Goosebumps episode. And in part two, it's kind of boy, um, it's it's, it's decent enough. It, it it is sufficient. And then without going into it any further i watched part three but part three again there's nothing that's gonna top carly beth but part three did was like on the same level as super drew and the jack-o'-lanterns okay yeah i'm like i i dig this there's some production quality stuff in night of living dummy three that blew my mind like i have i have 
a paragraph written about the little people playing Slappy at yes. a certain oh, point. Oh, <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. I, I, there's a reason why they did that. I also kind of figured out why Slappy has become the face of the franchise. Okay, okay. I, I think it definitely stems back from the mid to late 90s because, again, I did do research again. There's a great – we should say there's a great video on YouTube that documents the history of the Goosebumps franchise, not just the show, not just the movie, not just the books. It does everything, even the like the oversaturation of the merchandise in the 90s. It's And, and it's done rather matter-of-factly. Like think PBS level more than like the TikTok version of okay. information on social media is done. Yeah. And like I and I try to watch this every year just because it's it's dense and it gives me a nice just dose of context just in case you forget any of the, the uh, loose ends goosebumps wise. But yeah, I, I have a pretty good idea as to why Slappy be- is currently the face of the franchise. And again, I was – We'll talk about more when we get to part two, but I think also it ties into the character. He wasn't even a character in the books. The guy with the per- the skeleton with the purple mohawk that sure. was like the merchandising mascot of Goosebumps. Yeah, yeah. And we'll, but again, we'll get into that in a moment. But yes, okay, okay, good, good. No, I'm glad to hear that you have some info on that because that's really going to be the bulk of this. I really want to talk about why Slappy became the the head villain in the movie and stuff. So that's great. But season one, episode seven. The Phantom of the Auditorium. Okay, let's give a plot breakdown, then we're going to talk about this one uh, for not too long, because there's not too much to talk about. So, first thing everybody should know, this episode is inspired by nothing. This is an entirely, totally original R.L. Stein idea. He's a genius. Okay, so there's some middle school kids, I think middle school, they're putting on this play. This play is called The Phantom. It's totally original R.L. Stein idea. It's based on nothing. It's really cool. I swear, guys. <laughs> this play involves a phantom who is kind of like in some weird, you know, tumultuous relationship with uh, Esmeralda. In this play, that's played by our main character, Brooke. And as this play goes on, or as their production of the play goes on, I should say, things start going weird. Uh, there's a really troubled trap door in the stage. There's uh, basically an entire tunnel system like in Jordan Peele's Us underneath this this stage, which is the wildest thing. There, there's a night janitor. Or is there? Question mark. Um, there, there's things going wrong. This, this place seems to be cursed. I think they even talk about that. It's the only good joke in this episode when they're talking about the curse at the beginning. And one of, the, one of the kids is like, how do you know this curse is real? And one character says, my grandpa told me. He went to this school 72 years ago. And another character chimes in with, and the thing is, he still hasn't graduated. That's the definition of a knee slapper right there. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we basically get that this play is getting produced. Things are going wrong. Like, I think some things are falling. Some, you know, masks are getting put into lockers and everything like that. Uh, but at the end of the at the actual like showing of the play, the craziest thing happens is that there's a there's a homeless guy living under the stage at this school that has nothing to do with the plot of the episode. And then the teacher, after the play ends, says, come on, everyone, your parents will want autographs. I wouldn't want an autograph for my fucking kid. I got my kid's autograph, you know? I got a plenty for my kid. I, I own my <laughs> child's autograph. Exactly. So I think I summed that up pretty well, Zach. Anything I missed? <laughs> also, no, just want to no. restate, completely original idea. This is based on nothing. <laughs> so it's trilogy level. 
well, in the fact, it's based on a Goosebumps book. Trilogy wasn't even based on a Goosebumps book. Oh. So, so let's go there, you know. But, but I mean, it's kind of crazy. Like, Disney, the Disney Channel original movie Phantom of the Megaplex is based on this episode. I couldn't find anything else tying, like, the Phantom of the Blank. It's an R.L. Stein thing. There's nothing else that exists. Oh, maybe the Wishbone episode came before this. I'd, I'd have to check that. <laughs> But it's also it's a ripoff of the Phantom of the Opera. I've never heard of that. What is that? <laughs> God damn it! I played into the bit. You played uh, into the bit. No, I'm actually glad you said that because I I'm glad we got to this one. I mentioned earlier it's in our tradition of just you know we always pick the next one on the start of the list of Goosebumps episodes uh, chronologically. I was actually glad to get to this one because about a year and a half to two years ago, Justin and I went through watching all of Joel Schumacher's movies. Of course, one of them is the Gerard Butler and, uh, oh, God, the guy, the guy who played uh, Night Owl in Watchmen. Why can't I remember his name? Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson, that version of Phantom of the Opera, which was not a good movie. I think that I have that very low on my Schumacher rankings. But after we watched that, I made Heather watch the Wishbone Phantom of the Opera episode. <laughs> Uh, we determined it was better than the Joel Schumacher movie. And I was like, oh, there's also a Goosebumps episode about Fan of the Opera. And Heather was like, Rob, I can only give you so much leeway. I will not watch that. Uh, and so I'm glad we're getting to it now. <laughs> this is my thing, though, about this episode, is that it's very clunky. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's like there's so many... It's, and I, it feels stupid to, like, analyze it this way. But, like, one of the things that's so jarring... Is that we have like Esmeralda slash Brooke, and throughout the episode, I called her Esmeralda because they refer to her more as the <laughs> character she's playing in the play than they do by her actual name. Right. It's at like what, maybe a third of the way through the episode, like she go, like they're rehearsing, and there's a kid just sitting there, like in a, like in a folding chair. She's like, "You're in my seat." Oh yeah, yeah. And he just gives her a blank stare, and she's like, "Oh, it's okay." I'm like. <laughs> Did, did somebody need to write that? Did that need to be in here? I'm like, and then she's like, then like we cut like the, sh the scene just like not cuts, but just it goes to a different angle. She's like, hi, my name is Brooke. What's your name? And it's like, there, there was no way, better way to lead into the sequence. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> maybe he wouldn't have tried to take you into the netherworld if you let him just sit in the chair he's been sitting in for the last 70 years. Brooke. Yeah, right. <laughs> that, that was my first one where I'm just like, what? Like, what is happening right now? Then my second one is when they do go down, like, through the trapdoor mm -hmm. and they get, they get, what do you want to call it? Like, accosted by Emil the janitor. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, didn't Mrs. So and so, the teacher, tell you this was dangerous? And then when we get to the end of the episode, it's like, oh, he was some homeless guy just like impersonating a janitor. It's like, how do you know the teacher's name? Ooh, is the teacher in on this? Good question. I'm like, I'm just like, I'm like, why do you have to have the teacher's name? All he has to do is do the spooky groundskeeper thing of like, you're doomed. You're all doomed. <laughs> like, did like, did we really need him to sit there like name drop the teacher? Like, again, who are we writing this for? It, we're, we're doing this for dumb children. We don't need to like elevate this. Yes, no, I'm I'm totally with you, and I'm glad you bring this up. This episode is clunky. I think that's a good way to put it. I also found this episode to be very, I guess, cheap is a good way to put it. Low rent. Low, Low rent. rent, yeah, yeah. I have to imagine the impetus of them making this, like, book into an episode is, one, the notoriety of the name, you know, Phantom of the Auditorium, uh, you know, playing off the Phantom of the Opera. But I also have to think, just with how much they use it, 
they just had, like, whatever Canada place they were in making this back in the day, they just found a school with a trap door in some other rooms. And they were like, oh, this is perfect, you know? We can rent this out for an afternoon and get all these shots we need. It seems very minimal to me, this story, that they were just basically like, let's slap this one together. Yeah, it, it it's definitely, it's... Like you said, there's really not – are there any special effects in this uh, there's episode? A, there's a smoke machine, I think, at two points. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, like, It really did seem like just like get it done, yeah. very by the book. There, There's really nothing supernatural about this outside of the idea that what? A, a child technically falls into a trap door and he just disappears. Everyone's like – Okay, Um, and and you couldn't even make the argument that maybe Brooke is just seeing Brian. Yeah, throughout uh, Brian being the the boy who apparently is the one from seventy plus years ago. Mm -hmm. Because then we have the annoying girl who's like, what the stagehand who's like, there's sets that need painting. So like, clearly he's a presence. Like he walks home from school with them one day. It's a rather disjointed Goosebumps is not the most straightforward, sure. but this seems more disjointed than most. No, you're absolutely right because there there are moments where Tina, the bitchy stagehand crew girl, she talks to Brian and she's like, you know, don't talk to Brooke, she's a whore, talk to me type of thing. <laughs> and and like Brian's like, what should I do? And Brooke's like, I don't know, you want to be in this play? And and Tina's like, no. Come paint things. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I I would love to know more about why this school – so in-universe, I would love to know more or have more info on why this school has a theater department, has an actual theater with a trap door that, from what we are told through dialogue, is in complete disrepair and not being used. Like, is this the first play they're putting on in a while? Wouldn't other productions have tried to use it? Did they not know about it? You know, like, what's going on here? (laughs) It's – again, it it... (sighs) – this is where I have to ask the question, like, do you think R.L. Stein did cocaine? Because, <laughs> like, this is so disjointed. Like, this is one of those things where, like, if you're writing a script, and we have to ask, was there even a script? Right, yeah. I don't know. Like, I get it. It's children's entertainment. But even if you go back to other 90s children's entertainment stories, this is where, like, again, like, you'd love to know how much – again, Rob, you've read all these novels countless times – how much of the novel is in the TV adaptation episode? So this this one, Phantom of the Auditorium, from what I looked into, seems to be fairly consistent. These two seem to match up. The book, of course, like draws out the uh, the the plays on the Phantom of the Opera type of thing, like the homage, I guess, to it. But for the most part, these are pretty consistent. Like the the night janitor is like the red herring in the novel type of thing. I'd have to read the exact, you know, story again to be uh, super clear on this, but it seems like that that red herring drops off a lot earlier rather than kind of right at the end as it does in this because it's condensed, of course. Because they even have a couple moments too where even with like Zeke, like they're sitting there like, like oh God, we see Brooke in her room and she's like talking, like looking into the mirror. And then we just see like the phantom show up and then we cut the credit, uh, cut the commercial break and come back. And it's like, she's like, oh, yeah. He's like, it's just me, Brooke. I'm like, there was a dude in your room and you didn't know this? <laughs> yeah, like, Because then she's like, come on, we need to rehearse. I'm like, so you did know he's in the house. Like, like I, I just like – it's one of those things where like I get it. Goosebumps is all about cheap scares. I get – or cheap ooh moments. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like this one just felt incredibly lazy or just 
oh god negligent yeah no, i'm, I'm <laughs> like, with you like Absolutely. nobody it seems yeah. like again like the kids are like for the record the kids are trying the production values there for the most part outside of it being cheap looking it's there it's just what was this a first draft again was it just uh yeah. yeah. it's good like was it that level of just someone signing off on it i i think of this as the thing of when when TV shows have like a season, maybe this isn't exactly the case because this was the first season of Goosebumps, but you know, I I use this example a lot when we talk about like Law and Order. You know, Law and Order gets booked for whether it be SVU, OG, you know, OC, uh, you know, LA. I, I could list. I'll keep going. There's so many letters that list Law and Order now, but it's like okay, we got a season. Here's our budget for the season. We're going to have this one or two or three episodes where something huge happens. Like, you know, I think it's the um, – there's one episode of SVU back in, like, season seven or eight where they need a bunch of kid actors, you know, because it's a real big, like, child trafficking case or something. And so they put a lot of the money into that episode to make it like, oh, and we're going to have a car chase and we're going to have a shootout. And they put so much money into that. Then they go – Okay, we got to take some of the money from one of the other episodes. So that episode's just going to be a courtroom drama because it's easy to shoot that and it's cheap. That's kind of how I saw this episode. They were like, let's put the money into The Haunted Mask and, you know, Damn welcome straight. to Camp Nightmare. And, you know, um, the other season one episodes we've covered, like Say Cheese and Die, I think is pretty cheap, but that has some effects to it as well. Like they had to stage the damaged car and stuff like that from those photographs. This seems to be the episode where they're like, okay, we we distributed the budget from this one to the other more important episodes. I don't – I 100 percent agree because obviously there's only so much money to go around. But like all the issues with this episode are narrative-based. Sure, sure. Well, other than I think the – they just found a set and used it type of thing. Well, of course. <laughs> well, yeah. They, they must have found some – again, how, how would you even call it? Production house in Canada. And they're yeah. like, good enough. Yes, yes. That that's where I was coming from. But you're also right. The narrative is also bad. I think they should have, you know, bulked up the narrative because they knew they were not going to be able to do a lot of money on the financial side of the the sets and production quality. They should have helped out the script. Uh, instead, they were like, you know, this is going to be cheap all around. You know, don't even don't like you said first draft. They told the writers, don't spend more time on that. Work on, you know, whatever else happens in season one. <laughs> so it's more or less a filler episode. I think so. I think so. Uh, based on nothing. It's a completely original R.L. Stein idea. He invented the Phantom. <laughs> Correction, Wishbone invented the Phantom. That's true. I think that was before. I don't know my Wishbone timeline. Uh, you're absolutely right. So uh, I th- I'm pretty sure there's a shot in the Wishbone episode where they put a little half face mask on that jack russell terrier and it's of course fu- they it's did, the Rob. fucking of funniest thing <laughs> is, is speaking of this like availability is wishbone in the same like camp as goosebumps or is that accessible i have no idea i have never looked <laughs> up wishbone like i have looked up goosebumps in the past i only watch wishbone when it's on my hard drive my thought is though the i have all of wishbone i also have special features of wishbone so oh. I, I would imagine that makes it a little – I would think it's a little more accessible because someone was willing to, like, rip all that stuff from a DVD, I would imagine, is where those special features came from back in the day. Um, but, no, I have never never looked into where I could watch Wishbone today. Because I'm looking it up right now. I, when I type in, like, Wishbone availability, I get Wishboner making a, an awkward Thanksgiving. <laughs> It's well, a Tubi original. It's a Tubi original. Oh, well, I know what we're what we're talking about next week then. 
God damn it, Tubi. Yeah, no, I was just interested because uh, you don't hear again. Like, Wishbone doesn't really show up now outside of like, oh, God, Rob. Remember how we when we first started this podcast uh, 25 years ago? Sure. And the biggest thing was like BuzzFeed listicles. Yeah. Now the big thing is like TikTok videos of like not only 90s kids will remember and like one of them now is like Wishbone. I swear, the, la- like, the last time uh, I was on TikTok, my entire For You page was Justin Long. They know their audience, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> they know that sweet spot for nostalgia. <laughs> no, I, I watch Wishbone very rarely. It's it's kind of difficult to watch when you're not a child who doesn't know these stories and stuff like that. Uh, I still posit the Purloined Letter episode of Wishbone is some great shit. That's probably the best episode there is. So, Zach, if there's nothing else uh, that you wanted to say about Phantom of the Auditorium, I wanted to relate a story that I know I've told you before, and I'm sure that's gone on this podcast, but it's been so long, I gotta tell again. Anything else you wanted to highlight from Season 1, Episode 7, Phantom of the Auditorium? No, I've said my piece on that. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's not great. So, of course, as we alluded to and talked about, uh, there's, a, there's a guy, the Emil the Night Janitor, question mark in parentheses after that. Uh, he's the homeless guy living under the stage at this school. Zach, do you remember me telling you the story of Jordan Michael, the homeless man that lived in the attic crawl space of the CSU Statistics Building many years ago? No. Okay. Was I, he the Skinwalker? It was no. This is different from the Skinwalker. This was a real person. <laughs> was he the guy stealing your socks? No. That no. None of my socks got stolen. If you remember, I gained a sock. I, so I oh, believe gained, a demon turned that. into one of my socks. Okay. <laughs> It's a different a story. This might have been the guy driving all those cars with the Miracle Buffalo thing, though. That could oh, be Oh, okay, case. okay. Um, but I, I think if I told this story on the podcast, it, it came very early on in his life. But I was reminded of it because of this homeless guy living under the stage of this school's theater. Um, so I've mentioned before, for a long time, about five years, uh, I went to CSU. Uh, for grad school in statistics, and the statistics office for grad offices for grad students were on the top floor of the statistics building. And when I say statistics building, it's because that's what it's called. Uh, most buildings on university campuses have names after people. Uh, this one was just called statistics. I asked somebody about that, why that was the case one time, and they said because nobody donated to name it something different. Yep. yep. Uh, and that's, so I, that's I what said, usually happens. And I said, can I throw my donation in? And I, and I actually I phrased it as, is there a minimum donation? And I heard probably because <laughs> I was ready to buy that shit for a dollar. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I would have on the spot busted out my wallet. I would have gone five even. <laughs> but so while I was there. On the top floor of the stats building, there were there's an attic space. There was like a storage space in there, basically. They were kind of half doors. If if anybody's ever seen Coraline, you know the door she goes through isn't really a full door. It's kind of like this weird little cupboard thing in the wall. That's what these doors looked like. And there were a bunch of boxes back there, old storage stuff. They eventually got cleaned out after the events I'm about to to describe because they were like, well, we got to do something with this space. Um, I got a briefcase from it. That was pretty cool. But there was a certain period of time where we started getting emails, uh, not just as grad students, but everybody in the stats building, which also included some like offices for the administrators of the College of Natural Sciences. We started getting these emails about like, hey, be on the lookout for anybody that's not, you know, supposed to be in the building. You know, if you see somebody who's just kind of hanging around or they, they seem like wandering aimlessly, like ask them who they're there for. Ask them if they're, you know, going to office hours. Ask them if they're a student or not, you know, because we'd have undergrad students all the time for office hours and, and other things. And so it was kind of weird. You know, we were like, OK, what's going on? Eventually, this escalated to hearing rumblings through the top floor from other grad students where 
people would go into the bathroom. The women's bathroom had a connection to this crawl space. And some of the women were telling us that they were like, I was in the bathroom and I kind of hear like noises behind that door. Like there shouldn't be noises coming from behind this door. And so we thought, well, is it like rats, mice? Uh, there's, there's, there, we had a really bad fly infestation in the top floor of the CSU Stats Building. That's not a dig against the Stats Department of CSU. That's a really good program. Uh, some of the people are really fucking weird, but it's a good program. Uh, and, and there's a fly infestation. You know, take that into account, any prospective grad <laughs> students. But we were like, okay, what are these going on? Uh, what's going on here? The big kind of shift was apparently uh, one of the teachers, one of the actual like faculty members of CSU. His name was Piotr, Polish guy that I worked with a lot. He had weird sleeping hours. Like he would get in at like two or three a.m. And apparently, when he came in one of those early mornings, he saw somebody sleeping on like one of the couches on the top floor because we had some we had some seating and we had a couch. And he was like. He woke him up, and he's like, who the fuck are you, basically? You know? He's like, what are you doing here? Why are you asleep on the couch? And I think the guy said something like, you know, oh, like, I fell asleep, and I just got, like, night got away from me. I was doing studying or whatever. And it was really weird. And so Piotr reached out to the administrators and campus security and was like, this is kind of odd. And it all culminated with us getting an email from the kind of the stats department secretary, the administrator, and, and she sent us an email with a very blurry, dare I say, goosebumps vision uh, picture of a person. And the email basically said, I wish I actually should have pulled it up for this. Maybe I'll do an editing. But the email said, like, look out for any people who don't belong in the building. You know, we're going to we're going to increase security on the building. So it's like we're going to make sure that everybody has their sets of keys and not giving them out, that type of thing. So that we had to do some checks like that. But they basically were like, if you see this person, tell somebody, because apparently campus security has discovered that this person was living in the crawl space slash attic space of the top <laughs> floor of the CSU statistics building. Um, they found a sleeping bag. They found, like, some food. They found backpacks. They found, like, a little, like, lamp type of thing. And this is where it all comes to a head. This is my favorite part of the story. Well, I I never really felt threatened by this because clearly this was a squatter who was trying to not be found out. It wasn't like he was stealing anything, at least not for me or from what I knew or ever heard. But the, the piece de resistance to this story is that in this email we got, They stated that this person gave their name to campus security in the one time they were able to confront him as Jordan Michael. So, Zach, please tell me. You you have to agree with me. This rings as, like, the family guy joke of, like, cops confront you and they go, hey, give me your name. And you go, you're like, you blank and you freak out and you go into, like, you're stun locked and you go, don't say Michael Jordan. Don't say Michael Jordan. Don't say Michael Jordan. Jordan Michael? (laughs) (laughs) Like, that could not be his name, right? Like, that is a fake name he gave them, which he should. If I was in his position, he would totally do that. But he, apparently they, they got rid of him. They cleared out that whole attic space. They, uh, they uh, locked it up. There were heavy-duty locks in the last few years I was there at CSU. And um, I have to say, as bad as the Phantom of the Auditorium was, it really reminded me of the, the guy <laughs> living in the crawl space of CSU Statistics Building for a for an undetermined or unknown amount of time. <laughs> Jordan Michael. Jordan well, I, Michael. I, I, I don't think you've ever told that story because I didn't remember it if you did. I thought I I could that's we'll leave it for the listeners. Listeners, send us an email. Send them out at gmail.com. Did I tell that on the podcast or not before? <laughs>
that would have come up at some point. Because like, even we, that thought. reminds me of the Tales from the Dark Side episode where like the guy has like the little uh little like mutant baby like living in like in the dorm um oh, oh god yeah. the coeds like yeah. little cubby hole. It's like that level, especially with college and all that. You would have told that story for that if 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 it. Like I said, I th- I've never heard that before. I thought I had told it. I could be wrong because of Jordan course, Michael. This this has been going on for five years, uh, thirty eight years now. You know, and so who knows? <laughs> so Rob, what you're saying is that Jordan Michael is the demon demon skinwalker that conjured up the additional sock. If I I will have to dig up that picture from the email. Um, but if I ever see that man again, I will point at him and say, "Hey, aren't you a meal the night janitor?" <laughs> <laughs> I think the last thing I want to mention about this episode, according to the Goosebumps fandom wiki, so, you know, good old, you know, fandom.goosebumps.wiki or whatever the order is, uh, one of the trivia facts says, quote, the DVD release, wanted to bring that up because we were mentioning releases of it, but this, but quote, the DVD release of this episode has the credits music continuously playing even after the credits have ended, end quote, whatever that means. That, that, that means. I don't really understand that. I, to me, that says that if you watched the DVD version of this episode, uh, the episode would end and it would just infinitely play the Goosebumps music. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> Which I can't say I'm against. I love the Randy Lenz theme song, so, you know. <laughs> well, I'm glad. With that being said, I did it again. Fan. God damn it. It's Jack Lenz. Randy Lenz is the guy who kills animals in Infinite Jest. I do that every... I did it in the fucking Patreon episode, too. And... And every time, neither Zach nor Ben knows at all what I'm talking about. Is this, is this, a, is this a test to fact check us? Like, God to fact check you? <laughs> I will get it right eventually. <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought up the, the, the Goosebumps theme song because segueing in, oh God, into part, Dummy Part sure. 2. I'm just yes. saying that for shorthand. Season 1, Episode 10, Night of Living Dummy 2. Absolutely. Is that at one – okay, Rob, like we'll explain the episode in a moment. But I will say is that at some point like we have the brother character and he's very clearly a voyeur because he likes filming the family, like doing random things. And while he is showing his video, the Goosebumps song is playing in the background. This blew my fucking mind. <laughs> uh, like I mentioned earlier, these are the episodes I do not rewatch because I don't like human-looking – non-sentient things becoming sentient that's a big problem for me but zach this is the first note i have about this episode Uh, i wrote quote the this video that the sun shows during family night is pretty great showing the family's flaws and insecurities and it seemingly includes a remixed version of the show's theme song (laughs) it's great it's like what you would mean the Goosebumps theme song is diegetic music. Absolutely. It exists within the universe. Yes, yes, which I'm very happy. And I also want to add on to this while we're discussing this. When the family starts to get upset about this video, or I think just uh, the main girl, whose name I don't remember right now, maybe Amy. I think Amy or Sarah. Sarah may be the sister. But when the family gets angry about it, the kid's like, no, this is great. I could win I could win money with this, you know? And they they have a mention he says something like, I could win money with this video on the show Fractured Families. And I'm like, yep, I yep. swear to God. I, I'm like, I hope to God that's a real show. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Fractured Families is a great, like, dystopian take on AFV or something, right? Fractured Families would be like... 
This week, I thought it would be nice to show a movie I made all about us. There's Mom sticking to her diet again. And Dad's getting his hair just right. Here's how come Sarah hogs the bathroom so much. Guess whose new sweater Amy's trying? You little geek! Amy, where's your sense of humor? Yeah, I could win a fortune on that Fractured Family video show. How many times do I have to tell you not to try on my clothes? The modern contemporary version of a TikTok channel, just like filming dysfunctional families like at restaurants. Yes. Oh my god, I would I would get way too into that, I think. <laughs> It's like it's like when you see those accounts like oh like Karen's gone wild and it's like like angry like female customers in grocery stores yelling at like the deli counter. Mm-hmm. It would be that, but just like domestic disputes like in public locations. Right on, right on. So yes, I'm glad you brought that up, Zach. That we have some the the first instance, quite possibly from what I know from re- rewatching this series so often, the only instance of diegetic uh, Goosebumps theme song, which is awesome because that. Jack Lenz theme song is very, very good, uh, of course. But, Zach, would you like to run us through the uh, plot synopsis or the story of Night of the Living Dummy 2? And then I figure we can just kind of pick it up from there because Night of the Living Dummy 3 is almost the same thing, uh, except it's episode yep. 3.5 of Star Wars or something like that, which we'll get yes. to. <laughs> All right. I have two words for you to describe these, these entire episodes. Fractured families. <laughs> well, No. <laughs> That's a spinoff. <laughs> Slappy shenanigans. Perfect. I couldn't have said it better myself. That's I mean, it. We're okay. We're done. I also want to bring up uh, how fucking often does this family have family night? Because I would, I would kill myself for one of my show and tells. <laughs> I will say that between part two and part three, the idea of like this, these families being so tight knit. Is something that we don't see a lot in Goosebumps, right? Like the idea of fi- – as usually in most Goosebumps episodes, the fam- like the, like the adults are either MIA or the families are very like – oh, God, like some child is being sent off somewhere. Yeah, you're actually – that's a great point. You're absolutely right. Either the adults aren't around like in – you know, Attack of the Jack-O-Lanterns or something. Um, or even Haunted Mask, even though the mom is there, Carly Best's mom is there, she's not really a major player or anything. Um, but the other alternative is exactly what you said. The the kid is shipped off to the weird relative. I'm thinking of Monster Blood, which we covered, where it's like, why, it's like, why do I have to show up at, you know, Aunt McLady's house? Because I've only met her once when I was a fetus, you know, type of thing. Or like the werewolf, uh, what, Fever Swamp 2, yes, where the kid just gets sent, like, why the are there camp? bars on Absolutely. the windows? Absolutely. No, you're totally right. You're. I didn't really think of that, but you're you're 100% correct in that both of these Night of the Living Dummy tales, it, it's basically, well, in Night of the Living Dummy 2, the family is so tight-knit. I think that none of these kids are going to grow up to be normal people. No. Oh, absolutely not. In Night of the Living Dummy 3, there's the whole thing with, like, uh, Hayden Christensen coming to visit them, where it's like, you know, even if they even if they pranked you by trying to get a cow to eat you last time, you still got to come that, home. Whoa, 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 we'll get to that <laughs> moment. Like, 
<laughs> we'll get to that because there's a lot of weird stuff that happens. Again, part three is a low key masterpiece. <laughs> um, well, we'll get to part three. Part three is it's the weird. best of what we watched this year. I have oh, to give you that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Despite the fact that part three is very derivative in its core, it has enough flourishes around the edges that it gets a pass. And it gets a pretty good pass. They put a fucking ventriloquist dummy in a water cooler bottle. Yeah. Well, get to that. I don't even know how they did that, to be honest. I know. (laughs) I know. They did a lot of things in part three. Night of Living Dummy part two. Family night is an atrocity. I would blow my brains out as show and tell one night. I want to make that joke again. (laughs) Well, that's the thing is that like this is where we talk about like 90s culture and we're nostalgic for it. But, like, that's a thing I could imagine happening in the 90s. Like, that does not seem out of place. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Not saying that it was something that happened across every household sure, in America, sure. but it's something that I very much, like, as for table setting, 25 years later, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, this checks out for setting a mood. That You're right, and that's something I wasn't really thinking of. I was coming at from the cynical point of view I have. Where, well, you know, of course. How could you not? Uh, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I'm trying to think of other kids' movies from this generation. Like, was the family, like, super tight-knit in something like, I don't know, the Beethoven movies type of thing? Like, was that uh, kind of the same vibe? Because I, I, know what you're, I know what you're saying, and I agree with you. I'm just trying to think of examples where this tight-knit family also existed around this time period and before. I don't – I think it – it was – this is the thing. It feels like that illusion of what families want. I think it's it's that nostalgia. It's oh, the more it's the okay. 90s equivalent of a Norman Rockwell painting. It's that – oh, it's that illusion of something that never existed. Sure, sure. OK, OK. And that's why – again, I'm not saying that maybe it did happen, but it was always that thing of like, oh, when like – oh, God. Like you'd go to elementary school and they'd be like, when you go home – like you should have like a family night, like where everybody are like sitting at a dinner table, and everybody discusses their day. Yeah, it's that dialed up to the umpteenth extreme, and but and that's the thing that's so weird is that we live in this again. Clearly, again, going back to this weird thing, us being millennials and people being nostalgic now for the era we grew up in. And Justin Long, is, of course, yeah, and and Justin Long. <laughs> God damn it, introducing that into the Cinelotti's lexicon. <laughs> um, <laughs> Good God. Um, the point I mean, we're being, queuing up. I mean, maybe in November we do the Justin Long series. Here we go. You know, <laughs> we already did Jeepers Creeper, so we already got one in, one in the bag. Perfect. Uh, but that's what I mean, though, is that it's it's setting up that ideal of the family being like, oh, these, this is a very self-serious family. Yes. They take the idea of we are here to be receptive of one another. We are to never, ever lash out or behave outside of this norm we've constructed Mm -hmm. because that's the thing too and like again obviously 90s culture now being in vogue we really don't talk about 80s culture that much anymore relatively speaking and i'm just like i'm thinking back like the the oh god the pillars of 90s culture your rug rat for children children's Uh, entertainment sure you're not not red and stimpy like not that level of like but like what rug rats was things like that that were really defining moments and you look at that relative to this and you look at the idea that just like how children behaved and like why are there why are the parents both in part two and part three which were filmed what probably at least six months apart if we had to guess at least sure yeah i i mean their um their release dates are 
so Night of Living Dummy 2 was January of 96. Uh, Night of Living Dummy 3 was July of 97. So they're about a year okay, so, and a half apart yeah. in chronology. Yeah. And so that's the thing. But I'm like, the big theme in both of these is that, like, the parents aren't enemies. They have just decided to, oh, God, persecute the child or mm-hmm. at least target the child. Be like, like, and the thing is, like, you live in this nuclear family where everything is just so hunky dory. And then out of nowhere, this one child, all these things start happening. And it's like, in, and I get it. It's goosebumps. It's meant to be out of sorts. Again, it's that weird, like, David Lynch, Blue Velvet, but for children. Sure. <laughs> which is what it is. To to Weird to think of it that way, but it is. And it's like, at what point, like, why are you not understanding, like, oh, my child has never behaved this way. What's going on with my child? Mm-hmm. Instead, the parents, it's not that oblivious thing that happens, like Nightmare on Elm Street, where it's like, oh, Nancy, why aren't you sleeping? Like, I'm going to give you sleeping pills in your orange juice. It's not that. It's just the parents being like, what, why is my child, it's not even why my child, it's like my child is doing these very mundane things, but it's upsetting the social order of my household. And yet I'm not going to punish them. I'm just going to just disenfranchise them as much as I can. Yeah, that that's a way to put it. I, I was really kind of not taken aback, but I did find it odd in um, Night of Living Dummy 2 where the parents confront uh, Amy, the girl with the ventriloquist girl, um, you know, at the breakfast table. And they say something like, listen, things have been weird, like you've been acting out and we don't know what to do. So what do you want us to do? Right? There's that moment where they kind of like ask her. And now mm-hmm. I feel like you're right where that's a very 90s thing where if this came out in the 2000s or 2010s or in the modern day era, they'd be like, listen, you're going to fucking therapy and that's the end of it. <laughs> well, that's – but this is why I think it's interesting and this is where like I'd love to interview like – again, this also goes back to like the difference between the novel and the actual like screen adaptation of it, but I think it's think about it. if you're an adult. So I I, can't, I don't know what the average age of the writers were on a Goosebumps mm-hmm. episode mm-hmm. adapting it, but think about it. by the '90s you weren't allowed to physically discipline your child. Sure, if you hit a child, I remember even as a kid, I remember I had one. Uh, the, the woman who was a friend of my mother's who introduced me both to Star Wars and Titanic, she used to take her kids and hit them with a wooden cooking spoon, but not hit them like on the head. She'd hit the back of their legs. Like that was like the like the punishment if they acted sure, out. Sure, sure. And but like and that was like even my mother's like, oh, the pearl clutching. But <laughs> but but this is the thing though, is that think about it. So in the nineties, if you're a parent who can't physically discipline your discipline your child, what would you do? You would disenfranchise them. You would alienate them from the social order of the household. You either ignore them, give them the cold shoulder, ignore them. Yeah, yeah. And it's like I want – it's no sense where I can't imagine it's intentional, but disenfranchising a child that you don't know how to discipline is something that was a, a novel concept okay. in that time okay. frame. Yeah, I know what you mean. Now, I, and, and I didn't, couldn't help – I will say I watched all these episodes twice just to make sure because the first time, it's like kind of just the waves crashing upon me on the beach. It's, <laughs> you experience goosebumps. You don't retain it. And the second time, I spend a little more effort just putting my mental power on observing everything that's happening. And that's the one thing I picked up in both episodes because pretty much the two – all the children that are being persecuted are not being persecuted. They're being disenfranchised as a punishment. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, disenfranchised. And I found that fascinating. Ostracized. One of my one of my 
concerns, especially in, in Night of Living Dummy 2, was that, you know, the family's upset because things are going wrong. Like, you know, the painting gets ruined, you know, the uh, whatever the hell else happens because Slappy's a, a little goofy goober. Mm-hmm. My thought was when the parents are continuously like, you know, why are you doing this, Amy? This is not good for you to do. And she's like, Slappy's doing it. The dummy's doing it. My immediate thought was then you take the dummy away from her. Right? Like, wouldn't that be, it's like, okay, we're going to, we're going to do, we're going to find like addition by subtraction. We're going to remove a variable and see what changes. And instead the parents are like, you know, we can't hit you. We can't send you to therapy. So we're just going to, we're going to let you interrupt your mom's cheerleading presentation on second family night, you know, because I don't know if you noticed that the second time we see family night when Slappy like says a bunch of horrible shit about the rest of the family like i don't know she says she's like hey older sister your tits are different sizes whatever slappy says the mom is upset and the mo- when the mom gets up from the couch she has pom-poms and i was like jesus christ family night sucks you know but no i'm totally with everything you're saying that i think they're doing something novel and something in a way that is weird to us now but probably was that level of novel and you know I don't want to say groundbreaking, but you know, it, it was it was that it was interesting to kids in the '90s and to f- probably families that were watching the show together in the '90s. I absolutely agree. Um, I will say that uh, ten comedy points to the uh, sister. Your <laughs> your breasts are two different sizes. That, I mean, isn't that like, the that's whole great. reason why the that's why great. the why she's trying on her sweaters because the sweaters don't fit the older sister because she doesn't have custom made. <laughs> Breast size sweater. I don't know. I don't even know. She doesn't have a prescription bra. I don't think breast size sweaters exist, but that, that's, <laughs> that sounds like a shivering truth sketch. <laughs> oh my god. Um. Yeah. I. I. I again, family night. It, it is very annoying. Just as a concept. Never mind seeing it played out. The family taking it so seriously. I will say that like the the cynical humor of Slappy that gets her initially in trouble is one of those things where like. I don't know, like the, the pearl clutching from the parents about mm, the jokes mm-hmm. is that like there's not even a point where even the dad goes, <laughs> like there's not even that. <laughs> like it's so self-serious. And then even because what it's the jokes is the first thing that gets her in hot water. Yeah. Then it's the the, the best friend and the little sister yes. and Slappy grabs the sister's hand and like the friend just treats this as like the ultimate betrayal being like, I never want to see you again. Yes. Yeah, and it's there's like, the, damn. Uh, there's the painting, right? The sister's painting oh. gets defiled. That happens at yes, some point. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so it, it goes from the jokes to the more physical acts of like the friend's little sister and the painting and stuff like that. But it's like there's certain things too, and I get it. It's a goosebumps episode. It's exaggerated, but I like how the little the friend's little sister's hand is like being held, and it's like let go of her. It's like it's a toy. <laughs> I'm like, what does it do? I, I, I get it. Like, again, Slappy is supernatural. But it boils down to just like, like, what is happening? It's those things where it's like, imagine like, why is, why is your friend running out of the house? The doll grabbed her hand. And how's the parents just be like, the fuck did you just say? Yeah. Like, yeah. like, it's one of those things where like the parents are, and I get it. It's with every single one of these things. Again, Nightmare on Elm Street, anything where the kids feel alienated from the parents. Sure. But like at what point do the parents just like there it's funny how there's never a scene in any of these where the parents are just like, Honey, are you like like are you okay? 
Like there's never that – like there is that moment but never – it's always just said it's mo- mostly empty like rhetoric mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as opposed to like – like the talking friend be like, like oh my god, you're, you're – Amy's doll like grabbed my sister's hand. Be like do, do you need like like some aspirin? <laughs> like do you like, do you need a cold compress? Like, do, like, like it's also – there's never that moment. That I wish we're like not at the parents level because you don't want it to become meta. Like obviously we're years before the meta train arrives at the station. Sure. But there's never that moment where like it's it's so just hyperbolic. Like I get to facing the painting. Like I'm surprised like instead of having grabbing the friend's hand, why isn't there like a slappy thing where like slappy – I don't know, does something to the property. Like he does, he sits there. I was going to say he like burns a dirty word, like into someone's front lawn. Like that would cost too much money. It's like, Amy, why did you write that slur in Mr. Johnson's yard? Why did you burn that cross across the street? I swear, mom, it was slappy. I don't even know what he meant by that. <laughs> For the record, it is a comedic bleep. There was no this. This isn't the Dolphins episode of uh, Chappelle Show. Everybody, Rob did not say the word. Oh, Zach, this is one of my favorite things to do now with Ben. I will, whenever he goes on a tirade, I will just randomly pick words to bleep, and they sound. It makes it so funny. <laughs> oh my god! But yeah, th- there there is that level of just like it feels like all these things that Slappy does are very inoffensive in the grand scheme of things. Yes, yes. They are shenanigans, like you said. That's a good, wo- good word for it. Absolutely. Um, I will think it's funny that I like how Slappy's activation phrase is Klaatu Barada Nikto. Basically, I, right? Yeah. I, I love that. Like, to a point where I wish they would have had their Army of Darkness a moment where they're like, Klaatu Barada! <laughs> <laughs> what? I said it! Come on! <laughs> I have to enunciate every every vowel. Like, come on. Um, I, I wish there was that moment where, like, they just like not to jump ahead to part three, but where she does. Is it is it part two or part three where she tries putting the genie back in the bottle? I think that's part three. Okay, and I wish there was that moment where, like, they do that and like they mispronounce some part of it. And he's just like, uh, uh, uh. Like, I wish, like, instead of it being like, well, you can't put the genie back in the bottle now, but. Unfortunately, oh, that yeah, work. yeah. It, it is part three where they, they say it in reverse and they think it works for a little bit. And then Slappy gets up and goes, ha ha ha, tricked you, you know, that type of thing for, for sure. So, I I mean, I think we're fairly pretty much done with Night of Living Dummy 2. I think we should discuss the ending. Of course. Because the ending, the big twist, Goosebumps-esque twist. It's not Goosebumps-esque. The Goosebumps twist of this Goosebumps episode is that Slappy gets his head broken open. He gets curb stomped. He, he does get curb stomped on a fireplace. That's fair. Uh, green smoke comes out of him that really reminded me of the black smoke that comes out of the people in the Black Lodge in Twin Peaks The Return. Mm-hmm. And the family is like, well, who saved us? It was the brother, right? It was Jeb or Jed or whatever his name is. And it's, he's like, no, I was taking a shit this whole time. It wasn't me. <laughs> And then it cuts to Dennis, the original older ventriloquist, like older in terms of like falling apart. That was all set up at the beginning of the episode. And that dummy's like, I'm glad to be part of the family or whatever, you know, that type of thing. I think that's a fun twist. I like that there's this other dummy alive. But I do want to mention for Zach and for any other hardcore Goosebumps fans out there, that is not in the book. That's a total episode thing. So the book actually keeps it completely ambiguous as to how Slappy got his head broken open at the end. Hmm. 
which I think is fairly interesting. Also, I should mention, when his head gets broken open at the end, smoke does not come out in the book. It's a big worm. Oh. <laughs> and they crush the worm. <laughs> so it's Jason goes to hell level where exactly. there's like a giant like you, you, neck worm. You knew exactly where I was going, man. I mean, the worm was ready to shave somebody's mustache in a homoerotic way, and they, they didn't let it get the chance. <laughs> at least it didn't go up some corpse's hoo-ha. Like, no. we should just be happy about that. I don't know about it, at least. I think <laughs> we should hope for that, you know? Um, so two other things I wanted to mention about Night of Living Dummy Part 2. This was like a, a little bit of a crisis I went through, Zach, and I'm glad that you're you're back here for Monstober to discuss this because I wouldn't have I, I I am not able to fully discuss what I'm about to bring up to you with any of the other Cinemodities co-hosts. One of my earliest notes during that first family night from season one, episode ten, Night of the Living Dummy Two, when I saw the dad, to me, the dad reminded me of Clint Howard. So of course, yeah, I get that. Okay, vibe. okay, yeah. good, good. You're with me. So so far so good. Um, even if you didn't, even if you disagreed with me, I'd say just just be on board. So here we go. Even if so, I thought he looked like Clint Howard. My initial thing to do when I see somebody who reminds me of another actor is I will write down, oh, they are discount blank or they are great value brand blank. You know. So as I started to write the note that the father, the dad, is a discount Clint Howard, I took pause and I went, hold on. This guy is better looking than Clint Howard. (laughs) Is Clint Howard the discount brand of this man whose name I don't know or have written down? Zach, do you see the existential crisis I had for about 10 seconds? (laughs) Have you ever... Okay, this is, I feel like this is the Zach equivalent of the homeless man living in the statistics building on the CSU campus. Jordan, what are we doing with ourselves? Jordan Michael Clint Howard, what are we doing with ourselves? I Have you ever heard the story about the Clint Howard MTV Life Achievement Award? I think so. Is this the one? I think we've talked about this where he took it really seriously. Yes. But it turns yes. out that the other recipients were like Chewbacca <laughs> and like Dracula. Yes. And they yes. And, and, and the MTV producers felt so bad that for they him. discontinued the award, right? Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> because they gave him oh they God. gave him an award basically mocking him. He took it so genuinely and earnestly. They're like God damn it. <laughs> like this is this is the weird well that Cinemodities gets to tap into when Rob and Zach are alone together because I swear this would I mean we're like what it's like those weird memes where it's like you got to be 16 layers deep to get this meme you got to be 16 layers deep into the stupid knowledge Zach and I have in the back of our brains like it would take me a full episode to begin to crack to Ben why this is worth discussing (laughs) it's it's yes (laughs) It's a weird piece of trivia. So let's so, just put it that way. Let, let me let me ask you: What do you think? What what do you think the correct answer is, or or how would you maybe even if you want to give the political answer of not answering, I'd be fine with that. Is is this dad the discount brand Clint Howard, or is Clint Howard the discount brand this dad? I don't know. Like Clint Howard is at least a trope. So like you say, oh, this person's like a Clint Howard. You know what somebody's saying. That's fair. That's fair. 
I, I'll give the points to Clint Howard. He's earned I, it. I have to agree. Clint Howard does deserve it. I mean, I've never seen any of the, uh, what, the schlocky, like, Ice Cream Man, I think is his horror movie yeah. or whatever. I've never seen that. But, of course, he's the, um, the operate, one of the operators in, um, Austin Powers. Like, doesn't, isn't he part of the, um, you know, that looks like a huge set of, and then it cuts to, you remember that joke from Austin Powers? I feel like he's one of those guys, you know? Oh, yeah. And so. Well, yeah, he's, oh, yeah, yes. It's that trope of, like, Oh, like you can be one of the smart ones, and they show a picture of like Albert Einstein, or one of the lesser ones. They show a picture of like, oh God, like Ernest from like Ernest Goes to Blank. <laughs> it's the idea that like it's meant to show someone derpy. Yes, yes, exactly. So, exactly. so here's the actual uh, trivia tidbit: in 1998, Clint Howard won the Lifetime Achievement Award at the MTV Movie Awards. Previously, this this award was used as a joke. Previous winners included Godzilla, Jason Voorhees, yes. and Chewbacca. Yes! <laughs> the joke in 1998 was everyone talking about Clint being a fantastic guy and great actor, allowing everyone to think that they were talking about Clint Eastwood when they were actually talking about Clint Howard. <laughs> Problem is, Clint Howard took the stage to accept the award and was authentically enthused about it. Howard, who had not been told about the award being a joke, got honestly emotional and appreciative and was sincerely proud to receive the award. I have never seen that speech, but I know we I, – I am very certain we've talked about this on this podcast before. I I have to find that speech now. <laughs> Almost immediately, executives at MTV retired the award, saying that they weren't going to besmirch the actual honor Howard felt at receiving it by continuing to treat it as a joke. I love the I love the inclusion of the phrase "almost immediately" in that last <laughs> sentence. <laughs> like I could imagine people. It's like the guy. It's like the guy who figured out the um, press your luck thing. Where he where he just kept going, and they were the producers in the back were like, "Oh wow, this guy's good. Okay, this will be a great episode. Oh, he's still going. This will be two episodes. Holy shit, he's figured it out. We gotta stop this." You know, like, <laughs> I feel like that was the real time three minutes of the MTV Movie Awards producers going, "Okay, Clint's up here. Good, we're doing our award." Oh, he's taking this a little too seriously. Maybe that's the joke, though. Maybe he's going to lean into it. Oh, no. Abort, abort, abort. <laughs> we've, ru- we've hurt this man's feelings. <laughs> you know, I want to just thank the fans that get a kick out of me. I want to thank the people that hire me. I'm going to share this with my family, my wife, Melanie, my, my dad, Rance, my mom, Jean. Uh, and Ron, you're, you're a great older brother. You're, you're a pretty good director. You're a great older brother. You know, people, people come up to me all the time and, and they say, weren't, weren't you the, the, the little kid with the bear? Or they, they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember you. You were that, that little guy on Star Trek who drank the Trinia. Or, you know, I, oh, I know you. You're, you're the brother of that famous guy. Or, 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 wait, 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 wait. I know you. You're that crazy guy in that horror movie. And I go, yeah, yeah, I'm all those things. Well, maybe now... People will come up to me on the street and they'll say, hey, aren't you that guy with that big golden bucket of popcorn? <laughs> Thank you guys very much. Thank you. 
great. Like we don't get moments like that anymore. Like it's like, oh god, someone they so what's what's it called? It's not even leaning into the cynicism of it. It's just like it's the equivalent of the family night. Like yeah, meeting. yeah. The 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 uh, uh, I think we we used the phrase on um when when you Ben and I talked about Speed Racer the the oozing sincerity of it right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kind of great. Clint Howard, absolutely. Okay, so so the dad is great value brand, Clint Howard. Perfect. The other thing I wanted to mention, just to throw it out there, uh, the girl who plays the older sister, Sarah, she looked really familiar to me. And I was like, where do I know her from? Her actual name is Katarina Scorsone. I think this is the answer. She's also in Trilogy, the uh, three-part Goosebumps episode that is the worst episode of Goosebumps because it's not based on a book. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Of course, we'll have to cover it one day. Uh, But that episode's theme is it posits that being greedy and liking baseball are equally punishable by hell, which is a weird thing to say. Um, So I figured that's where I know her from. Turns out she's also been in 205 episodes of Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) So she's the main character. I guess. I mean, Grey's Anatomy's been on what longer than this podcast is going? So at least sixty-eight years, right? Yes. Okay. So who knows? Two hundred five might be like a recurring character, like a drop in the bucket for Grey's Anatomy at this point. Yeah, more or less. Okay. Okay. Well, then, Zach. I mean, let's. Well, we set up the ending. Slappy gets his uh, gets curb stomped. He gets uh he gets Edward Norton in American History X. You know that type of thing. Smoke plumes come out of him. Uh, a little weird gold ball pops out of him in the Black Lodge. That all happens. You know, that's that's season one, episode 10. Um, but season two, episode 24 and 25, our long-form episode for this discussion, Night of the Living Dummy 3. I want to start this off by saying, Zach, we've set it up greatly in the previous years. You've set it up fantastically in this discussion so far that I watched these in Goosebumps vision. Goddamn Goosebumps vision. I am not kidding you. When I picked these episodes for us to discuss, because, of course, there's the one-fifth that Rob gets control over from Monstober. It's the Goosebumps episodes. I picked these episodes because I wanted to do the slappy tie-in to the Jack Black movie from 2015. I did not know or did not remember, once again, to say because I do not rewatch these episodes every year, that the kid Zane in uh night of living dummy three is played by hayden christensen i did not remember that and i did not look into this prior before actually watching it i'm gonna read verbatim my notes in this episode from when i was watching it in real time this is one of the instances where i have a sub bullet point so let me explain to everybody whenever i'm watching something i won't pause it uh, very rarely will I pause something to look something up. I'll usually just make a note of like, oh, blah, 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 blah. I should look this up later. And I'll like, I'll put a sub bullet point that's empty to look up later. This is what I wrote in regard to when Zane comes into this, this episode. Quote, whoever the kid playing Zane is must have been told, play this as autistic as possible. <laughs> Oh my god. Because he's coming across like that when he's acting like he shouldn't be afraid, as afraid as he is. So there's that moment where they're on the stairs, like I think the two main kids are sweeping, and Hayden Christensen is like, uh, I'm trying not to be afraid, but you know, and I'm like, you're coming across as like autism before people knew what autism was, type of thing. But I knew he looked familiar to me. My sub bullet point. Holy shit, it's Hayden Christensen. <laughs> I will say that he – I do think he's doing a better job acting in this than he does in Attack of the Clones. 
Well, I think we can both agree his greatest performance ever is Little Kid on Bike in John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness. <laughs> oh, is he in that? He's, he's the, there's a point where Sam Neill like, finally escapes the town at the end of the movie, and the little kid on a bike rolls up, and Sam Neill is like, you know, what year is it, or whatever. And, and the little kid is like, mister, you're stupid. Are you on drugs, or whatever? And that's pretty good. That's a pretty good one scene. <laughs> um but that's even before this. That's 95, and this was 97. I have not seen Attack of, Attack of the Clones in so long, but, I mean, I don't think Hayden Christensen is great in either Attack of the Clones or this, but at least he's not being directed by George Lucas in this one. <laughs> sure. So there's something to be said for that. Nor did George Lucas write the script of this. No. Or maybe or maybe he did based on the ending. We're not sure. Uh, that, that's, a good, that's a good point, because Rocky the dummy becomes Darth Vader when it should yes. be. Uh, so... I, I know you we, before we started recording, Zach mentioned that Zach mentioned the whole like, uh, oh, Return of the Jedi ending is the same in this movie. You know, even <laughs> there is even a lightning strike at the end. of There this is movie. like that's the part where like, <laughs> OK, I will say, OK, just to get into this. So I'm watching this. I get to the first like five minutes of it. And like I'm like, oh, God, like, is it going to be just like the other thing I just watched? And I'm just like, Jesus and then so like, OK, so like you have the kids. The kids are like, I don't want to see Hayden Christensen. He sucked in Attack of the Clones. He didn't get eaten by the cow. He wanted to get him eaten. No, by. Well, 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 that's the thing. But well, we don't. I didn't get to that point yet. OK, I'm just OK. Like, I see, and then like I see out of nowhere, there's this like talk about like budgets. There's a shot of a kid. At this point, we're not even introduced to Hayden Christensen yet. It's a flashback. That's right. Exactly. We're not, we don't even know who he is as a character. And it's like we see this kid like waking up like out of a bed in the middle of a pasture and a cow going, whoa, as he's like screaming. I'm like, what? There's also a shot of the two main kids carrying a bed away from the house with a child sleeping in it. But that's like that's not too crazy for goosebumps because that's at least on the set. That's on the set. Hey, hey, that's on the set. Set location. No, whatever they're using. Zach, you are completely right. I'm just laughing at the fact that finally, after five years, I've inundated you and indoctrinated you enough for you to have the complete serious response to one of my points being at least that's not goosebumps crazy, you know. <laughs> It's not in the pantheon of what Goosebumps, the bounds they play in. We're getting there. We're and getting so, there. Only, what, 16 more years of this. <laughs> yes, only. Um, by that time, we'll have the Disney show to plug into all this. Lord help us all. Um, but, yes. So, like, I see the cow thing. I'm like, what? Like, it's only like it caught me off guard. I'm just like, what? And then, like, we see Hayden Christensen pull up with, with, with his dad. And there's a very similar, like, it's like the flip side of the argument. He's like, I, I didn't choose to be related to these people. Oh, that's right. One of, one of my contenders for my opening quote was going to be from Hayden Christians. He says, I have nothing in common with these people. <laughs> yeah, like, we didn't choose to be related. And so, like, the dad, like, drops them off. It's like, go ahead, Hayden. Go, go talk to your cousins. And they're having this conversation. And I got to give Goosebumps credit. Either it's intentional or not is anyone's guess. It's the most genuine conversation amongst adolescents and tweens you will ever have put to film. I'm with you. Yeah. Like it's so clunky. It's so like just bumpy and just its delivery, how it's executed, the actual diction of it all. I'm like, did George Lucas write this? <laughs> Is he a ghostwriter on Goosebumps? Is this what he was doing before he started writing The Phantom Menace? Like it's it was so perfect. I'm like I'm watching this and like it feels like art, 
And I'm just like, I'm like, okay, fair enough. And then I like how at one point the younger brother's like, we can't, we, like, we promise not to put you in front of a cow again because the cow died. <laughs> That's just right. Like, I forgot about that. And I'm just, and I'm just like, all right, goosebumps, you have my attention. The, the line I think exactly that you you made me remember is they're like, you don't have to worry about that one because that cow died. And Hayden, Christ- it cuts to <laughs> Hayden Christensen, and Christ- he goes, "Well, that's good." Uh, like, and then he awkwardly laughs, and there's like a pause, and it's like, now I'm with you, Zach. I'm feeling it. Like this is this is some episode two and three stuff of Star Wars right here. It's you know, funky. it's very it's. I think of the famous Rob quote from when we covered the Rise of Skywalker of. It's like a car with square wheels. <laughs> It'll get you where you need to go, but you're going to feel every bump. I am so glad you remember that quote because I think about that quote a lot when I watch <laughs> movies these days. <laughs> uh, very profound. Very ahead of its time. The last time I ago. used that was for Martin Scorsese's Kundun, the Dalai Lama movie. I was oh, like, really? this is a car with square wheels. And I'm like, maybe they're not square. Maybe they're like hexagons, but it's still bumpy as shit, you know? Really good movie, though, I have to say. <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah, after we have the awkward exchange, it's like, oh, Hayden, you're a photographer now? And he's like, oh, yeah, like, that's my thing. We should also mention he's dressed up like a 45-year-old, like, divorced dad. Like, we, we can't overstate that he has, either. Like, like he's like, a fishing vest on with yes. a million pockets. And I'm like, yes. when I was watching it, I was like, are they going for, like, a Back to the Future thing? Because Marty goes back to the 50s and he has, like, the life vest type thing on. I'm like, is that what they're going for? But they, I think it's just what the prop master had okay. because it's like yeah. it's like one size too big for him as well. Which yeah, is really funny. they they never mention it. Absolutely no, but I, I know what you're talking about. He's the photographer, and he's like, let's do some shoots, that type of thing. And the other kids are into it. Like the cousins are into it. You know, the main kids and and he's Hayden Christians is even getting into it. He's like, oh, you're a tiger. You're a sexy tiger. Roar at the camera. He's doing, yes, he's doing Matthew McConaughey from a. Uh, uh, Ghost of Girlfriends past, like, roar at me, roar at me, bitch, hit me, you know, that type of thing. And I'm like, whoa, he's he's not only a it's... photographer, he's been a photographer in the wrong scene for 20 years, <laughs> you know? He's the photographer from Neon Demon. Yeah, oh, sure. sure. <laughs> he's like, let me get my gold glitter paint. But then he turns 90 degrees to the right, <laughs> sees a dummy, and goes, oh, and drops his camera or whatever. No, he drops his book. Drops his Don't book. Don't forget his, right. his he he drops a coffee table sized book that who's, says Conquering Your Fears. It blatantly yes, just says yes. that. Who, Conquering who's the, Your um, Fears. Who's the self help guru that is the guy that curses Jack Black and Shallow Hal? Is it Tony Robinson? Is that yeah, his, it might be. Uh, yeah, it might it's be. not Tony Curtis. Tony Curtis is a different person. Yeah. No, Tony Curtis no, that's uh oh god, what's his name? Tony Tony Curtis is uh Oh, God, what's the movie I gave to you and you scarred Jeremy with it? The Manitou. The Manitou. <laughs> Manitou, one of the best viewing experiences I've ever had. Jeremy and I sat on the couch I'm sitting on now in complete silence watching that movie. At about the 85-minute mark with five minutes left to go, I turned to him and I said, this shit's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Best experience. Um, but no, yeah, Tony Robinson sounds right. That's the thing. It's a Tony Robinson self-help book. Help book. Yeah. You know, he he drops like it might as well have a picture of Dr. Phil on the cover, you know, yes. if it was made 10 years later. Um. So, yeah. So like we have that like we, we, we've established that like Hayden Christensen is like scarred. He's traumatized. Yes, everything I, that's want, happened. I wanted to mention that he he looks he sees the dummy. He freaks out. This was a moment that I absolutely loved 
where he freaks out, he drops his book, and he, like, takes the book back, and he's like, ah, I, I just don't really like dummies, you know, that type of thing. And the mom comes in, and the mom is like, oh, silly, you're so stupid, you're a little bitch, it's okay. It's so offensive. It, it came across to me as, like, it's the thing of if people of our generation talk to older people and it, they, they do the, uh, the homosexuality thing. I've used this example before because I always love to go back to it. But it's like let's say you tell an older person like as a guy, be like you go to them and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm gay. Like I like men. And their response is, oh, you just haven't met the right woman yet. <laughs> that is so fucking offensive. You know, that is deeply offensive and wrong to say or think, I, th- I believe. Um, and that's what this mother does. She's, she's like, I don't, I don't really like dummies. I don't like, you know, I don't, I don't like Chucky. I don't like when things come to life when they look like they should come to life. And I'm like, Hayden Christensen, I, I agree with you. This, is, this has been my being since childhood. And the mom's like, oh, you're fucking stupid. You just got to love the dummies. Later in the episode, yes. the father's yes. like, I'll get you to like dummies. It's like locking the gay man in the room with like like the prostitute exactly. being like, she'll straighten you out. It's like, the oh dad my God. literally goes to Hayden Christensen and says, hey, I know you've been having a little bit of rough time because my, my actual two children are dickheads and can't stop pranking <laughs> you. So I'm going to give you immersion therapy. Like, you're afraid of snakes? Here's a 700-pound boa constrictor in an elevator with you. And it's like, oh my God, this is so wrong and i think actually now that i say it this way you're right zach this is the most 90s thing nobody understood any of this stuff in the 90s so they were throwing it all at the wall like a fucking pot of spaghetti and guess what it was all undercooked because it flopped right back down onto the stove (laughs) it did so basically i will say that like I don't want to jump too far ahead but i do want to explain the initial twist in this okay okay is that like all like once Hayden Christensen shows up, the two kids promise they won't prank him. Then over over the course of well, the next fifteen minutes, yep. there's all these different things. Like Slappy has a Jason Voorhees mask on, like next to Hayden Christensen's bed. Yeah, there's yeah. it's just all these sort of like these things happening. And the parents get so fed up with the two their kids, they say, "Well, you can't go to summer camp. Like this is your punishment." I don't know how keeping the kids in the house is going to make it any better, considering that Zeke is or, or Hayden Christensen is still there, and their favorite cow's dead. So what are they going to do all <laughs> summer? You know, exactly. You think sending the kids away would be the correct thing to do? And so they're like, "Oh," but the whole time they're trying to explain that it's Slappy who's doing it. And so they're like, uh, okay, we're going to wait. I think it's the older sister's like, I'm going to wait in the attic for the younger brother to, to, to catch him in the act. Yes. Until we find out that, oh, wait, Hayden Christensen's been creating all this in order to frame them as retribution to everything they've done for him. Mm-hmm. And so we have Hayden Christensen's punishment is him having to mow the lawn with sure. like sure. one of those classic, again, talk about Norman Rockwell lawnmowers where there's no power to it. It literally is you push mow it, yeah, and it has yeah. razor blades. The older girl gives him the lemonade, you know, in, in the She's like, I, of, I, I feel pity for you. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I have to agree with you. That That's at the end of the first episode, of the first half of this. So that would technically be um, season two, episode 24. That's a great reveal. And like I said, these are not episodes I rewatch. When that happened, I was kind of like, that's great. I really liked that, you know? Instead of just dragging this on and being like it was slappy the whole time, I loved that little twist. I, I thought that was a very effective Goosebumps twist. Well, he, yes, it is effective, but it makes me wonder. 
how much of this ruse by Hayden Christensen (laughs) was was slappy complicit in? I no, I I would like to answer that by saying whether it be Slappy or Hayden Christensen, who the fuck had enough time to ruin that dinner? Because that's the end of the first half. The last big prank, I guess, air quotes prank, is the candles in the potatoes, uh, candlesticks in the potatoes, like beans in the cranberry sauce, the roast being replaced with a with a dummy. Of course, all of this is going to be fleshed out more when we talk about snacks, um, because I, I'm ready for that. Who had the fucking time to do that? Did the mom cook that meal? Are there servants we don't know about? Like, I was so confused by that. <laughs> At least they have a roast, Rob. At least the roast is still there. I, no, the roast was not. It was a it was a ventriloquist dummy again with a oh, meat Rob, thermometer in it. <laughs> that's what the father says. At least we still have the roast. He does say that. That's true. You know what? And as you say that, it makes me think of James Franco in Spider-Man 3. This pie is so good. <laughs> At least we still have a roast. <laughs> I will say, like we said earlier, the dummy in the cooler is a nice touch. Well, that, that, that requires is, some serious effort. That That's like, I give props to the prop hand, pun intended, whoever had to figure out how the fuck to do that, because that's awesome. <laughs> Required a little bit of effort and sleight of hand. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, that's the, the big twist at the end of the first part, and the second part is really the living dummy aspect of it. Yes. Well, that's where, again, Slappy becomes autonomous. He's re-aw- he's awoken all the other dummies, dolls in the house. Yes. He has he has an enforcer, Rocky, who is the father's like OG uh, puppet. Yep, yep. It uh, it plays Eye of the Tiger every time he's on screen, of course. <laughs> Even though he's a gangster, so my joke doesn't make full sense, but I think our audience gets it. <laughs> it's, it's close enough. It's, it's the Italian stereotype. The OG, when you say a Rocky. I mean, Sylvester Stallone was in The Godfather. He played every role, if I'm remembering correctly, right? I think so. Okay, okay, that's good. And then and then Al Pacino played younger him in Godfather Part Two. Okay, perfect. <laughs> good, 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 good. So anyway, though, so th- I, I I imagine Rob's gonna be the one who's going to elaborate on this. But we get to see a not just a puppet Slappy, but a person in a costume as Slappy. Yes. Well, well, this is the thing that I really was really stood out to me during watching this episode was the fact that um, we basically have. Two different framings for Slappy in this entire episode. Whether I think the first half is more like wide shots and distance shots, but in the second half, when he's more of a character, there's basically two forms of blocking for him. Either it's a wide shot where you have to see his whole body, or it is a close-up of Slappy talking, I guess. Um, or doing something, like like kissing Hayden Christensen to turn him into a dummy, which is really weird. <laughs> The thing that stood out to me immediately was that whenever we get those close-up shots, whenever we get those slappy-centric framing shots, you see, you know, the usual thing of, like, the shoulders up to the head. The Mm -hmm. neck is way too long. Like, the neck is so distended almost. And I was like, oh, this looks weird type of thing. Um, And and the little bit of the, the torso that we get to see is, like, bulbous. And I was like... Is this somebody like wearing a suit over their head and they have this above their head type of thing? But then when it cuts to the wide shots, Slappy is articulated. Like Slappy has elbow movement, which he has not had before. So it's a little person. And I think it's very clearly a little person in a prosthetic Slappy uh, mask. I find this to be so so strange. I I think the thing I I started to latch onto and why I wrote so much about this in my notes, which is basically what I boil down in this essence here, is that... The, the motion of the act 
actor in the costume is so fluid and so realistic mm -hmm. that it is wildly jarring to then see the close-ups where it's acting like an actual dummy, where you're seeing the lines in the face, you're seeing the jaw move in ways that, you know, aren't human type of thing. That's where you said you had some info on earlier, like maybe you know some more about this. I just found it that you would think... Even in Goosebumps, even in some cheaper productions of Goosebumps, they try to bridge the gap between those two framings. And here it seems like they, they just said, fuck it. They're going to look as different as possible. Like, I actually find I it jarring. It is jarring because we know what we're looking at and we're scrutinizing it. Sure. I think if you're seven years old in 90, what, seven? Yeah. Watching this, I don't think. You're I just, think you're you just going to be scared you, by the fact that a yes. dummy came to life and you're not going to watch. The and I think it, it's absolutely. so and I think the jarring nature of it works to its benefit. It's very ghoulish. This the proportions and how he moves in those wide shots that I think the jarring nature works to its benefit. If anything. I agree with you. I think that when you're making something for kids, you can cut these corners, I guess. I don't think it's cut corners. I think I think they know what they're doing. It's not – It's they're fully aware, and I think they're working within the bounds of their creative limitations. That, that's also fair, knowing it's a TV show for Fox Kids and, and you know that type of thing. And I think they know that whatever they do, it's going to work because it's, it's more unnerving. Like I okay, think again, because okay. think about it. Like yes, you do have some weird things in Goosebumps here and there, but for the most part, Goosebumps the show is not scary. Yes, it's yeah. not. It's not unnerving. And seeing that, I think is good. It, it's it adds a layer to most kids. Again, it's, you might not have noticed it, but your brain did. Yeah, yeah. I do want to say my my thing. I agree with everything you just said. They should have fixed the neck on those close-ups. If they made that neck shorter, it would have worked better. That's my big problem. They probably shot those scenes at two different times. That's actually you're, that's actually a really good point. <laughs> I imagine the slappy prop was probably kept, again, talking about the prop master, probably kept like from season to season. The other thing I wanted to bring up, uh, you mentioned it, of course, we mentioned it, the, uh, the Return of the Jedi ending. The actual moment where I started to think, oh, we should, we should start to farm up our uh, Darth Vader jokes— is the reveal of Hayden Christensen as a puppet. Because well, too, yeah. when he reveals it to the other two kids, he's in the chair that he swivels around to show yeah, it. Yeah. And I I swear to God, I was hoping for a big old no! no. <laughs> well, that too, because you also have the moment where Rocky picks up Slappy. I'm like, Rocky say no! Sure, sure. As yeah. he throws him out the window. I have to, I have to say that ending... Where, where Rocky turns against Slappy and Rocky screams the phrase, never go against the family, and then starts punching <laughs> Slappy. I was like, well, this is comedy gold right here. Like, how, how is this not a reaction gif on like funny junk and Reddit right now? <laughs> never go against the family. And then stupid punching while these... It, the the act is stupid. The people playing this are not stupid, but it's stupid punching from little people actors in prosthetics that they have no control over. <laughs> it is. It, it's it's the clunkiness adds to the charm of it, for better or worse. Absolutely, absolutely. But just what I, I will say that, like I, I can't. I don't know what the best moment of this is. 
I don't know if the best moment is watching Slappy literally get lightning bolted to smithereens, they, uh, which they is a like firework like, budget for this episode. I, know. <laughs> I, I will say like watching Rocky throw him out the window and I'm like, Ooh, and you hear you see Slappy go. Mah, 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 mah. And then like you see like lightning strike the weather vane and he just explodes yes. like he does. Like I was expecting like comical like composited like little blue like lightning marks he legit like you said there's a pyrotechnics budget yeah he explodes i think they show two or three angles of it as well yeah <laughs> they got rob, rob they had to get their money's worth out of that shot okay. they at least rented two more cameras that day for good filming on them, man good on them absolutely <laughs> and then we have i like that's the shot in my opinion and the chaser is the very end where like again the three kids of all like they're all good friends now like oh maybe next summer you can come visit me instead the parents are like, well, we do have that ah. wedding next year. And then, like, they're like, bye, Hayden. Like, see him, Revenge of the Sith next year. And he's like, and he does, like, a Reagan from The Exorcist. He turns his neck around. Yep, he's like, yep. see you later, alligators. He's like, I and- was so much better than Jake Lloyd. <laughs> 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 the bar is low, so I just stepped over it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, it's a smash cut to a Who song. Like... <laughs> 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 It's like this isn't the goosebumps theme. Um, oh yeah, dude, that is a great smash cut to who song is something we need to start adding in his jokes more. That's fantastic. Oh my god. Um, yeah, no, like, like it's great. It's I get it. like this is a great. Like it's not Carly Beth level, but it's definitely up there with like Super Drew and uh, some of the other like like highlights um okay, no right. 10 out of 10 goosebumps i will say going back to my point about uh slappy um, yes I, yes i want to know a, this a com- info you have yeah a, yeah a, it's a combination of this episode combined with the the docu the youtube documentary i was watching i think they were tr- keep in mind what is the other super popular horror anthology series that is popular in the mid nineties mm, for Gaga. adults. Oh, mid nineties. I was about to say Lady Gaga. No, you're. I'm wrong. Uh, now a couple of years later. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, are you afraid of the dark? No, for adults. Oh, for adults. Oh, in the nineties. That also had a small little creature as the spokesman of the brand. You got to be talking about Tales from the Crypt or exactly okay, Tales from the Crypt. Okay. In the because like if you listen to how Slappy's talking. Both in that and then some of the, like the merchandise oh. advertisements they had. She's the crypt keeper. I never thought about that. You're so right. And and here's the thing. I I mean, I this might be where you're going. That was the thing. Like the crypt keeper became like an animated spokesperson at a certain point, yep. right? Perfect connection. Absolutely. Because I kept looking as well, I'm like, why does the slappy from the show look nothing like the slappy from the Jack Black movies? And then looking at the merchandise from the 90s, the merchandise of Slappy looks nothing like Slappy, but you <laughs> well, can tell yeah. <laughs> that the Sony people took that. I must, I guess they must have sold a bunch of Slappy merchandise. And guess what? The Slappy of the Jack Black era looks like what the merchandise of Slappy looked like in the 90s. And I think that's what whoever was – in charge of making these movies mm-hmm. they probably based it off what was what the merchandise was over what the show was and i'm like fair enough i agree i i that's actually a fantastic point i just want to harp on this i i never thought about the crypt keeper as the analog to slappy you know maybe guided by the merchandise like you were saying but there was i think this essence in the 90s 
that anthology-based things needed a spokesperson. Did Creepshow have a spokesperson? Uh, it had the, the creep. Like, you so, did have that. that so it, it had connective creep, tissue, creep, I guess is what I'm show, saying. But Creepshow was like the early 80s. Oh, like, that, that's, 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 like, that's true. That's true. So that's like the precursor to this, yeah. But I will say that, like, R.L. Stein like, looks at the EC comics as, like, his main frame of reference to where he came up with all this. Sure, sure. And that's where Stephen King and George Romero got the idea for Creepshow. So, like, at the end of the day, we can kind of use EC Comics as kind of like the Rosetta Stone as to how all of this started. So what you're saying is that Goosebumps and R.L. Stein, Stein's creation, is completely original, not based on anything because he's a genius. Is that where we yes. started? Okay, great. R.L. Stein, come on the podcast. We know you're listening. <laughs> he's the man that charisma forgot. I mean – you mentioned that thing, Phantom of the Opera. I mean, the Joel Schumacher movie was after Goosebumps. Excuse I, me, excuse me. You mean the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical? I don't know who that is. Is that the guy that, that designed the Sydney Opera it's the, House? It's 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 the mu- <laughs> it's the musical that this <laughs> that was extrapolated from this episode, from like, the first episode. I feel like two people are going to get the joke I just made. <laughs> 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 it's, it's it extrapolated the music. That's great. <laughs> So what you're saying is Joel Schumacher was the OG music. He invented the musical. What I'm saying <laughs> is that Joel Mock, God damn it, Joel Schumacher hey, ripped you, off you almost, Andrews. You almost just said Joel Mocker, and that's how Justin and I refer to him, <laughs> which I don't think I've ever told you before. So that's kind of great. Ah, <laughs> oh, Joel Schumacher. But yes. Yeah, so Rob, with that being said, I have nothing else to say about these episodes. The first one, kind of a dud. Second one, good enough. Third one, 10 out of 10. Yeah. Rising returns, absolutely. No, I I think I'm with you. I want to get to our questions, but I have to say this whole experience this year of Goosebumps, our fifth year, you know, number five. We're doing it. We're keeping doing it, everybody. This is, I mean, the Thanksgiving episodes fell off. The Ben Affleck's birthdays fell off because that's all fucking stupid shit. Goosebumps is just... It, it's just a canon event to use the uh, the Spider Verse terminology. You know, it has to happen regardless. Even if Cinemodities just ended, if we did an episode where it's like, well, Rob, Ben, and Zach died, we can't do it anymore. Goosebumps would somehow still come out. Zach, mm-hmm. this was a great time discussing these episodes with you. I have to say, I know we got a little bit more, but I have to say, I'm so glad that you came in and you said, hey. I, I still get to big dick energy this podcast and run Hell Monstober. Yeah. We got to do Goosebumps, though. I'm glad I've indoctrinated you that well. So I, I hope our audience feels the same way. Um, specifically to Maximo, because Maximo loves Goosebumps, as we did our fan request for uh, the 2015 movie on Patreon. So uh, I'm hoping him and everybody else enjoyed this as well. I loved this, Zach. <laughs> As God intended. As God intended. <laughs> it's one of the. It's one of the. Uh, it's the eleventh commandment. How about that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, cinemodities. I mean, well, our questions. This is. It's the same every year. Yeah, cinemodities. Yes. No late night. Yes, but only in Monstober, right? <laughs> well, yeah. I still. I can. I think Goosebumps is a cinemodity. I think. Oh, again, did you? Weirdly, I didn't look back, so I, I didn't remember. I, think I thought it is, we said though. no. It has, okay. I think Goosebumps is now. I, again, like times change. The fact that now it's gone underground. I think adds to it the fact that it's not. Think about it, Rob. This is almost on the same level as like real scary stories. It's a YouTube rip that lives now That's fair. more than anything official. That's fair. Um, has no blue. Has no. DV, has a couple of DVDs. Obviously, has a handful of VHSs. Yeah, like I said, I still again, I, I, I 
Goosebumps is hit or miss. Okay. It really is. Okay. For every good one, unfortunately, there's a lousy one, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, but it did give us Carly Beth, which is the greatest thing to ever exist. And it gave me my boyfriend, Ryan Gosling. So uh, you got to give credit where credit is due. Every year when I look at the spreadsheet and I'm like, what Goosebumps episodes are we going to do? I look immediately to Say Cheese and Die because it's my favorite episode and favorite book. And I go, God damn. Damn it! Why'd I check off that we did it already? You know, like I could, I could convince like Ben or Phil or somebody to do that with me again. You know, make Justin do it. Uh, no, he's never allowed on this podcast again. Uh, that, Zach, nothing's changed since uh, last time you've been on here. He's never allowed. I, I will still watch movies with him. Uh, we go through. We do. We do a lot of filmographies together. Both him and I are very excited for Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, which will be not out by the time this is, but very soon. But I will never formally, academically discuss a movie with him again. It's, uh, he, he lost his yes. chance. He, re- he really did burn that bridge of Southland Tales, didn't he? And that's coming from the person who has incoherently come into most of his conversations in his life. Uh, so that says something. <laughs> so are you ready for snacks then, Zach? It's been a while. I the am. restaurant. I, know. I mean, uh, should we start as 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 is always when you come back to the podcast after a long time? What, what was I need, working on? What do you need first? Do you need reconciliations? Do you need W twos, W fours? How do we start Rob, Rob, this? Rob, I know exactly. Do you know where I was for the last uh, eleven months? Probably lost in the Cinematis restaurant is what I'm no, guessing. No, no. Well, or well, the annihilation. The Lighthouse, and yes, I did just say annihilation to put the sound clip in. <laughs> That's twice now you have to put it in. I, I um, read my mind. No, there. Rob. I'll say what it one more time was, if you want me to. What, oh, it's up to you. Okay, what happened, Rob? What we should do is if one of us mimes the sound, we should have to actually put the word annihilation in. <laughs> we reverse it? Okay. Womp, 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 womp. No, uh, where were no. you, Zach? In, tell our audience, because I, I clearly know. I'm up to date as owners. I, I know this. But tell our cinema audience. I, I was walking and fell through a trap door. Oh, were you were you trapped with Jordan Michael in the CSU statistics building? Somehow, I did. Somehow you went down a trap door that went to the top floor uh, of a building. <laughs> exactly. It's an infinite void. How it the, happens. God damn it. Our restaurant is something else, man. Mars 2112. How'd they, how'd they stay in business as long as they did? I know. Alternatively, it makes sense that they went out of business. <laughs> it's, it, it had to happen. Um, but no, snacks at the restaurant. I, I, I'm not sure, Rob. We didn't highlight this. But at one point in Dummy Part 3, they put Slappy in the trunk, throw him down a well. Yeah. And then he, he mysteriously or like Slappy Wood gets out and he vomits up a frog. Oh, that's right. Okay. And I want this tied back to one of our first Monstober movies, Mandy, where we have another puppet vomit up something. Cheddar Goblin. (laughs) Who ate all the mac and cheese? (laughs) Oh, Cheddar Goblin Um, from Devane. This is the thing. I think we should, much like we have Cheddar Goblin who vomits cheddar, the cheddar mac and cheese. Yes. I think we have Slappy who vomits up frog legs. Okay, I dig that. That's actually – I'm glad you bring that up because last night, like late, like dark times uh, – well, when it was dark out. Dark times sounds way more ominous. Um, I, uh, I went out to take my trash out, and I saw a frog on the ground. So that's pretty cool. 
I was like, oh my god, a frog! I haven't seen a frog in Rob's like 20 like, years. I was like, Slappy was here, where is Slappy he? Slappy was here, come on! I mean, I just watched these stupid fucking episodes that, just, that scare the shit out of me. Now I'm, I have to stay up all night for this. And it turns out, I stay up all night anyways. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's good. So we're gonna get, uh, we're gonna get frog... Is it frog vomit? or No, vomited frog is the better way to put it. Vomited right? frog legs. Frog legs, okay, okay. Are they cooked, or are they like... Eh. Let's keep it a real dish. You just have to accept the fact that a dummy is vomiting it on you. Zach, you haven't missed a beat in all your time off from this podcast because I just asked you a question about the restaurant, and your response was, eh. (laughs) 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 That is the true Cinemodities mantra. Like, there should be a big thing on the wall in the employer that says, when a customer asks you something, respond with indignity and unconcern. (laughs) (laughs) Eh. Okay. I mentioned it before. I want to throw out. I don't have a name for it, but um, it it would be a full like table dish: candles and mashed potatoes, baby carrots and cranberry juice, a roast clown dummy with a meat thermometer in it, a corn cob candelabra. Like, th- what do we call this? Is this like the slappy meal, like the slappy feast? What do you think? I was gonna. Say, I was gonna say feast. Okay, feast sounds slappy's. Good. Yeah, slappy's feast with with an apostrophe s. Slappy's Feast. And on that same vein, I also want to add, you know, as we get into the summer months, actually, we're ending the summer months, but when the summer months comes around, I know a lot of, like, businesses these days, they're getting real on the hydration aspect. You got, you got to have your workers hydrated because that's something that, for some reason, people are just learning, that you have to stay hydrated. I think that the Cinemodities restaurant should catch up with this as well. We should make sure that not only are our employees hydrated, but our customers are hydrated as well. And we have a lot of different versions of water in the restaurant. I think some of them come in both contaminated and uncontaminated ways. Slightly less contaminated. Exactly. Now the marketing's kicking kicking in. (laughs) Uh, But what do you think about around the restaurant and maybe in some of the break areas, the gift shop, the, uh, the kitchen areas, the employee areas? We have water coolers for for free use, like very much regular like water cooler towers, like the things you see in an office building, but they all have a dummy jammed up into them. I like that. You got to have a dummy jammed up into them. And I mean, what what is better than what screams Cinemodities restaurant more than ventriloquist dummy flavored water? <laughs> I I would no not flavored infused. Infused. Oh, now See, once again, the marketing is kicking in. You know the words to use, Zach. <laughs> I will say, Rob, like I was watching a video a couple of days ago. It's obviously Halloween time. I went to Spirit Halloween for the first time yesterday. I'm jacked up on Halloween juice. Okay. And so I'm getting a bunch of recommendations on social media for ho- Halloween DIY things. And so one of the things was is like taking, oh, God, the soft scope soap, like the orange ones. Yeah, yeah. And uh, taking like Dollar Tree, like little spider rings cutting off the ring part and then putting a little spider inside the soap so it's like oh it's spooky soap but realistically all you've done is put like probably <laughs> hazardous <laughs> china plastic in your hand soap right yeah might, yeah might defeat the purpose but hey at least you have a cute novelty for like a dentist like bathroom and so as i was thinking about watching the episodes i'm like would it be great to have an instructional video based on what you just described about like occupational like hydration standards and it's like oh, in today's yeah, video yeah. the, the thing yeah. of like how to avoid heat exhaustion and heat stroke 
Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. I like to imagine instructional videos like today we will be showing you how to do your ventriloquist dummy infused water. And it's like <laughs> explaining how to take like one of those 10 gallon water jugs and awkwardly shoving like think of like stuffing a turkey but with like a piece of plastic into another piece of plastic while there is 10 gallons of water involved. I want that level. I want an instructional video on to, to, to piggyback off what you just said. I love it. I want yeah. a, I want a instructional video describing how you do this process to our work. <laughs> I dig it. I dig it. Absolutely. That that is awesome. And I mean, that's something we could sell to other institutions, right? Exactly. They're it's gonna a side want business. to re- like replicate what we're doing here because of its great success, as, as most restaurants do in regards to cinemodities. Of course, we're trailblazers. <laughs> we're trailblazers. Um, I think that um the other thing i wanted to add to the restaurant it's not a food item uh, it's something that i think our waiters uh, our wait staff and employees should carry so i don't think we've ever introduced the fact of if they have like a utility belt of some sort i don't think we've ever said like oh every waiter needs to carry this or every employee needs to carry this other than the, their id and and you know other miscellaneous employee related things um i think in the event of since our restaurant is so big Customers getting unruly, belligerent, that type of thing. Let's take some of the workload off of us as owners and and managers. If a customer is getting unruly, let's put the power into the waiter's hands, the wait staff's hands. We give them aerosol cans of Slappy's Evil Soul Smoke. So so if a customer is getting unruly and maybe getting really like, oh, they're getting in the face, you know, it's like my food – hasn't come out, it's been a week since I ordered that type of thing, you know, they can, if they feel threatened, they can bust out this basically can of mace that turns the customer into a dummy. (laughs) I like it. Is it green, green iridescent aerosol? Absolutely. It's It's colorful. It's fun. The kids at the tables near where this is happening are going to want to get it sprayed in their face. They're going to, they're going to think it's a birthday celebration. Um, (laughs) Uh, it might as well be confetti, you know, uh, but I I think that this is a good idea. But as I've now described it to you since I read it off of my notes, I'm also thinking this might be too much power to give to our waitstaff. <laughs> it, it might be. This might be uh, the uh, – I feel the, like it's a Dr. Moreau thing. Like it's, an, <laughs> it's like that level. I was. You're right. I was going to say the Machiavellianism of uh, pa- absolute power corrupts absolutely, you know. It's like 90% of the floor are going to be dummies by the end of the day, <laughs> you know. It's like we open on a Monday and then it's like, well, shit, what do we do with all this wood, you know. <laughs> Anything else for the rest? No, no, Zach? that's it for the uh, the inaugural episode of Monstober oh, twenty twenty three. I'm very excited. I'm I'm glad that we got to talk. We got to bump some geese. I should say that's the way we put it. Is there any inclination, uh, Zach? Since you are now the curator of the rest of this uh, this series, would would you want to give our cinema audience any inclination as as to what is coming next? Or are we keeping it? Sure, in the- sure, sure. Well, well, the first one we'll say is that uh, if you're a big fan of DJ Chocolate Thunder, you will be happy. That's that's that was my number one to talk about because uh, DJ Chocolate Thunder is going to hit it next time. I think. Yep, and then after that. It should be stated that always I change the order. Like, there's a very good chance Rob gets a text message one day just being like, Rob, we changed the order or something. Oh, day before. So, and, and sometimes yes. Zach does it. He's like, we're, it's 30 minutes before we're going to record. And Zach will say, hey, can you I'll watch send him a this two-hour movie in 30 minutes? And I'll be like, 
I guess I gotta pull it off. If, if the Cinemodities <laughs> restaurant ain't anything about temporal displacement, sorry, temporal pincers, I guess I gotta temporal do it. Pincer move. Um, I, I was actually just talking about next week, Zach. I was gonna say, um, to, to give another teaser for next week, um, if fish looked like that, I would only fuck fish. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot wait to talk Jerry O'Connell's greatest film performance ever. I can also not wait to talk about the story I've told before about how when my dad, I'm going to say it now, but I'm going to say it again next time, Jerry O'Connell popped up on the TV and my dad uh, immediately said, holy shit, Jason Bateman looks horrible. <laughs> it's one of the funniest things my dad's ever said. <laughs> Piranha 3D. I can Unfortunately, wait. not in 3D. Unfortunately, not in 3D no, for this. Uh, with, with plenty of the gimmicky point towards the camera 3D aspects, which uh, oh, I yeah. look forward to talking to. So, with all that being said, please keep listening. Zach's running Monstober, as he does every year. If you like what you heard, come on and support the podcast and check out a whole bunch of more episodes if you want that Jack Black Goosebumps episode that's also on there at patreon.com slash cinemodities, where we just run through a whole bunch of fan requests. We run through certain things that tie into the main series. If you also really like Adventure Time, we're still sticking up with that. I don't think—actually, it might be. October might be the month— that Holly Jolly Secrets comes out. Ben and I discuss the the big watershed moment of Adventure Time when the Ice King's backstory is revealed. It is the best episode of Adventure Time uh, in those first three or four seasons. Um, so come on, check it out. Support the podcast. Did we ever? Did we ever get Shermie and Beth? No, Zach. We're getting Fiona and Cake in four days on HBO Max. <laughs> Aww. And Zach is like, I don't know Aww. what that means. <laughs> Shermie and Beth? Is that, is that what they're calling Shermie and Beth now? No, Fiona and Cake existed before Shermie and Beth. Um, and, oh. and it pains me to discuss Adventure Time with a casual like you, Zach. <laughs> I know. But I, do, I, I did watch the finale, and that's all I remember from you it. You did. You did, absolutely. Um, so if you have any burning questions, if, um, if you think you know... What R.L. Stein and Wishbone and Phantom of the Megaplex was based off of, please email us and tell us at cinemodities at gmail.com. Uh, because we need to know, because it's a totally original idea, and anybody who says otherwise is probably wrong. Other than that... Spoiler alert, it was Andrew Lloyd Webber. It, it was the guy who designed the Sydney Opera House, whose name I can't remember, and I'm failing at the joke, but I'm still fucking trying to make it. So, Zach, I think that's it. Anything else before we talk about what to play in reverse, which is kind of a... Decided at this point. Yeah, yeah. Anything else that uh, you nope, want you want to throw out there? Just looking forward to another Monstober season. Piranha 3D is going to be a, a grand old time, I think. It's going to be a doozy. It's going to be a doozy. DJ Chocolate Thunder is going to hit that shit. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we have to do it every year. The Jack Lenz theme song of Goosebumps in Reverse. It's a fantastic song. It's one of the one of the best theme songs maybe ever. We, maybe we play the version from the Voyeuristic Brothers video Ooh, in reverse. Okay, okay. There'll probably be some dialogue in there of the family talking in reverse, but, you know... It's fine. I've never encountered a fan of Cinemodities that cares at all about what we play in reverse at the end, no. so we can do what we want. <laughs> I guess with that being said, we gotta, we gotta finish this episode by saying, hit it, DJ Chocolate Thunder! Hopefully Perfect. some hopefully somebody will like listen to these two episodes after they come out and back to back and it will seamlessly flow into one. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, we believe.